Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name is Wayne Bruce. I often get called Bruce Wayne, and I'm responsible for communications and DNI for Bentley Motors in Crew. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello there, and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Markart, and as you have just heard there from the introduction, this week we are joined by Wayne Bruce, affectionately nicknamed as Man Bat. And I think the reason for that is because, you, as you alluded to, people often get the sequence of your names, first names and last names the wrong way around which I believe I did once on an email to you. Yeah, it happens at least once a day. And if I had a pound for every time it happens, I'd have a garage full of Bentleys, which, which sadly I don't. <laughs> Interestingly, when I looked up, I was looking, uh, doing the typical um, LinkedIn stalk just to search through, make sure there's any talking topics. That oh, that's missing. who it was. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of Wayne Bruce's out there in quite senior positions in uh, in companies around the world, I've noticed. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a, there's a good few. Which I thought was interesting because I have seen, and you must be aware of this, there is a an internet meme that's been circulating for many years, which is a Twitter screenshot, which says something along the lines of, a new guy started at work today and everyone calls him Man Bat because his name is Wayne Bruce. And I've always assumed that must be about you. I have to look into that. I didn't know. Okay. Did you not, have you not seen that? No, I know. Oh. Um, a couple of, couple of a year or so ago, I think um, Mr. Clarkson did something about Man Bat and my Twitter just went ah, mental. Yes. Um, but no, I'll look into that. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up afterwards. Um, so, Wayne, welcome. Thank you so much for coming in and, and saying hello. Thanks we, for the opportunity. Absolute pleasure. We met, I should probably set the scene. So we met 
re- fairly recently, didn't we, at the 20 years celebration of the Continental GT, the lovely Bentley country residence, which is just glorious. Yes, not too far from Crewe. Yeah. Which is equally glorious. It is, it yes. is. And uh, I spent a wonderful day driving around in a collection of Continentals. We had a nice chat over lunch and thought, you know what, it's probably a good idea if we get you into the studio and explore some of your amazing career. Because I think I think that's fair to say. I, I, I know it's... I won't. I won't allow you to kind of feel embarrassed by me talking it up. But it is quite a. It is quite a strong career, and I will go through the details and some of the chapters of that shortly because I'm sure each one will bring up their own talking topic. But before we do that, what I'd like to do is you've probably heard because I know you listened to a few of these episodes. Um, I'd like to explore the route in which you've got to where you are now in the sense of long-term memory. So do you have a core memory as far back as you can remember, be it as a young adult or perhaps even a small child, that might have switched on the little light bulb that's essentially got you to where you are now? My goodness. Well, firstly, I, I have been very fortunate to do some amazing jobs and work for some amazing companies. And I wake up each morning feeling very lucky to be doing the job I'm doing today and hope that my boss doesn't tire of me um, <laughs> because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I, I have been interested in cars for as long as. Um, my, my parents tell me about, because uh, I grew up abroad and um, apparently I used to get in the way of everybody playing with cars in the uh, aisles of the aeroplanes going backwards and forwards. <laughs> and I always wanted to work with cars. Wasn't quite sure how I could do that. Um my father believed that I should be doing something very kind of career oriented, which is absolutely right. Um, and randomly ended up reading maths at university, uh, in which I had, I'm afraid, little interest. <laughs> uh, but at the time, they were living in in America. I used to go out in, in the in the holidays to go and see them. And it was on one occasion, um, I, I was out in my mother's car. She had a Mitsubishi Pajero, wow. which is the American version of the Shogun. Yes. Yeah. And this was all like a few decades ago, pre-camera phones. I happened to have the camera in the car. And I saw what I recognised to be a prototype, and this shows how long ago it was, of a Rover 200 convertible. <laughs> okay. Can you picture that? Remember I those? can, yes. yeah, vividly. Um, and I remember it, it, it pulled into a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so I followed it in. And um, it was, I guess, two engineers um, from Austin Rover driving it. They covered the car up and went in to have their donut. And I just, I, I sat in the car waiting for them uh and i saw them come out and um i i mitsubishi high bonnet so i hid behind the bonnet of the mitsubishi they took the cover off and i photographed the car wow yes spy photographer um (laughs) and i i sent the photographs into the news desk at autocar when would this be this must be around um i guess 1990 something like that yeah um and i got paid i think 30 pounds for the pictures or something and, and they got and they went to the magazine so i felt really happy about that you know really proud um and then i failed my degree not once but twice and then went on to do something in, in marketing and as part of that you had to do a work placement uh-huh. and i wrote to every single car company in the uk offering my services for free and i had two responses <laughs> one was from toyota and the other was from rolls-royce and bentley motor cars brilliant so guess where i went Yes. Yeah. Rolls-Royce and Bentley Motorcars. And I worked in the market, marketing team there for um, a man, some, some of your listeners may have heard of, called Richard Charlesworth, who's mm-hmm. still knocking around. Um, worked on the launch of the Bentley Brooklands. Wow. Which yes. was um, um, the not-turbo version of the Silver Spirit. The SZ was the code name of the car. Um, anyway, finished that, and then was trying to look for work. Without a degree, 
wasn't getting much response. And then I saw an advert in The Guardian <laughs> for an editorial assistant on a new car magazine. Uh, and I thought, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know what an editorial assistant does, but anyway, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll pl- apply for that. Um, and I didn't tell my parents because um, they, they, they were still living abroad. And um, I was amazed to get an interview. And the reason I got the interview was because um, the the news editor for this new car magazine, which became Car Week, yeah. um, weekly sister to Car Magazine, was at Autocar and remembered my stupid name. <laughs> and that's how I got the interview. Pure chance. Um, and then I sort of stunned him with my intimate knowledge of car hubcaps and things. And I remember, I was, again, other vivid memories, Gavin Green. Okay, yeah. Walking into the office and um, Gavin Green, Richard Bremner, Steve Cropley, all these names yeah. wanted read and followed. And they were sort of like celebrity. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure yeah. you agree. Yeah. Uh, and for Gavin Green to walk in, I, I, I did, I think I fainted. Um, and amazingly, I got the job. I love um, that. So I love just that. Very lucky. So no, no journalist qualifications, a failed degree in maths, a marketing qualification, and wow, I was working on a car magazine. I love that. I love that. And I know that. Um, I mean, recently, uh, an episode I know you listened to with Henry Catchpole. Yes, lovely Henry. Lovely Henry, indeed. And I always like making a real song and dance of the fact that it doesn't necessarily matter about the whole qualifications thing. They certainly help. There are certain industries, if you want to go and be a spinal surgeon, I recommend the degree. But if you are working or working towards a passion-led industry where your your knowledge and passion and excitement about a particular thing, a product, a brand is so prevalent, then that sometimes is all you really need. If somebody can identify that passion and pick out what works best then that can be so much better than the degree. We've all met people that have gone to university and studied for many years and spent an absolute fortune on tuition fees only to discover a year or so into the role, I actually don't enjoy this very much. And they go off and do something completely different. And the reason I bring it up is because I know we have a lot of younger listeners and a lot of people at that poignant moment in their life where they think, oh God, I've got to decide what to do now to map out the rest of my life and the reality is you really don't need to worry about it that much because if you have that passion if you have that drive if you want to venture into the area that perhaps you're not academically prepared for but you have the passion for it can still work and I think that's that's something always really important to uh, to mention so yeah let's explore this career because it's amazing there's a few bits I'll skirt through and there's a few bits I definitely want to stop and talk about but I'll, I'll just hit through the headlines first and then we'll go back through them so I've got notes there of the marketing assistant role at Rolls-Royce so that was that essentially work experience would we describe that as or yes yeah, yeah. um and it, it was I mean this shows how long ago it was um I remember that the the, the few women who worked there would leave half an hour before the men. Mm. Can you guess why? I can't actually know. It was so that they could go home and put the tea on. No. And what is now Dust Bentley is, of course, a very, very, very different place today. So this is this is only 1992 as well. We're not going back uh, mm. a long, long time, but that's incredible. So then you got the uh, you got that first job at Car Week magazine for a year or so 93 to 94 and, and again i was i was i was lucky there um i mean just, just going back to what you're saying before mm. if, if if one has to work to pay the mortgage if yeah. you can do something you enjoy please um yeah. or else it's, it's it's a waste of time and of course you put much more into your into your work because of it it's so true um and i i'd, I'd grown up reading 
I used to remember, remember whenever what car magazine came out, I, I would wait for the date and I'd be down the local WH Smith to buy the new what car and I would pour over the listings. I, I just loved the listings, the back of the magazine when, when they mm, used to have that. Do, yeah. Of course, it's all online now. Um, and that was a job I was taken on to do at Car Week was the listing. So pouring yeah. through the weekly press releases, updating the, the price sheets and the spec sheets and things, just keeping all that, all the, all that going. Um, and I was working on the kind of consumer end of the magazine and the editor of, of that section um, went off work sick for a while and news stories need to be written. So that's when I started writing. Right. Again, lucky. Um, and the team from Car Magazine were three stories up. And um, again, I remember when Richard Bremner first walked in the office, I literally had to run to the loo. I was so excited. Um <laughs> I couldn't speak to him for months afterwards, but the, 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 um, the odd car would come in for a first drive, which was perhaps not so exciting for them, but needed covering. Yeah. So I said, well, I can do that. Um, Great. So I started doing the odd first drive for car. Um, they needed someone to do their listings. So I'd come in on a Saturday to update their listings every month. And then a job came up there. And I, that's how I got that role. So again, it's just kind of lucky in being persistent. Yeah. Which, again, it's showing interest, isn't it? Showing interest, showing passion, putting in those extra hours. So that was staff writer role, Car Magazine. That's I can't remember when that, when that was. 1995. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I'm not a great... I mean, you were talking to Henry about mm. um, how the ability to drive. Yes. So, I, I'm, gosh, I'm not, I'm not a fast driver at all. Um, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a careful driver. And I remember the first giant test I had to go on. Um, it was... M5, I can't remember what E that would be, um, versus Jaguar XJR versus the then brand new Audi A8. So that would have been E39 M5. Yes, quite a terrifying thing. Mm. Um, and it was you know, the usual thing, you go down to Wales, usual thing, the weather was dreadful. Yep. And I was very happy to be put in the A8 because, <laughs> of course, it had quattro. quattro. Yeah, yes. of course. Um, and uh, I don't know how well you know your, your, your D numbers for Audi, but... The D2, that was, that was called the D2, the first yep. generation A8. Such a beautiful, beautiful car. Yeah. To the point that um, uh, I persuaded my father to get one, which would have been like 96, 97, one of the very first generations. And he bought it in the silver with the same polished 17-inch competition wheels as this test car had. Um, and, I, and I still have the car today. And they're just such beautiful things. So anyway, I was very happy to drive the A8. I didn't yeah. have any accidents. Um, and um, I, I left the M5 to people much more experienced than me. I love stuff like that. What an accolade for a car as well. When you go home and tell a relative to buy it, which has happened actually with me. I've, has it? I've, I've gone oh. home and, and said to, admittedly, it's not it's not resulted in a sale. So it hasn't always worked. But I've been on launches, driven cars and phoned up my sister and said, right, you're looking for a new car. This is what you need. In fact, my sister has recently expressed interest in the Bentley pushchair because she has got a little one. Oh, yes. So okay. maybe we could explore that later we'll, we'll see we, we've just launched a new mulliner version i saw i've seen it, the yes. press so she spotted this and she's not yeah she she enjoys her cars but she's not an avid petrol head like you or i but she saw i think that it would have been an instagram post or something and sent me the link saying have you seen this can we put lily in this which is her little uh, 18 month old so we'll explore that later but that's that's part of the bentley chat so we'll, we'll get there but uh, it also shows that the pr works because if my sister's seen thank it you. then it definitely works. thank you thank you but, but but that's the best question isn't it when you get asked i'm looking for a car what should i get oh god absolutely. i love that question yeah yeah yes? yeah 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 and it usually from somebody that has very little interest in cars i've got a great group of friends old school friends and we've been close since we were all 12 years old and out of the group, I'm the only car person. One of them doesn't even drive, but one of the group, Pete, 
does drive not particularly fussed about cars but it's always the question whenever we see each other we only see each other now probably once every six months or so and he'll give me a short list of cars that he's working through right this one this one this one or this one they're always sensible things like skodas or volkswagens and things and all good cars yeah yeah absolutely so staff writer car magazine 1995 and then this is where things get interesting because there is a quite a frequent transition we see this fairly often where people go into editorial they go into magazines or publications as journalists. They surround themselves in the world of automotive. And then a lot of them then transition across to take on the the role that they've essentially been pandering to for the past five, five or six years, which is the PR side. So working for a manufacturer. And this is exactly what happened to you yep. in 1995 where you went across to Volkswagen. So let's explore that. What was that transition like? And was that something you always imagined might end up happening? Because I speak to a lot of writers now who are currently writing, current journalists, who will say, oh, you know, eventually I'll go and work in PR for insert car company here. Is that how it was for you as well? Or did you did that come, come about in a slightly more interesting way? No, I'd, ne- I'd, I'd never thought of a career in PR. I don't think I, I knew what it was. Mm. Um in my teens um but again it was it was it was it was luck um i was on the uk launch of the volkswagen polo mark what would it be four um and um a wonderful man um who became a mentor um paul bucket Mm. with two t's um was head of pr for volkswagen and um he, I remember again. I mean, I can picture it in my head. Um, it was over the over the dinner, um, and he said, "Oh, you you um, you'd be good in PR, Wayne. Um, we've got a job. Are you interested?" Brilliant. And I, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. You'd be good in PR, but anyway, I, I, I don't, as I said earlier, I'd, I'd always wanted to work for a car company, um, and I, and I, I really recommend it if, mm. if if you're interested in cars. Yes, it's great reporting from the outside, but there's nothing like being on the inside, mm. and. I'd always been a fan of Volkswagens. Um, my, my, my mother had, at the time had a, a, um, a Mark III GTI 16 valve. Brilliant. And I thought, well, why not? Um, um, another thing is never regret what you have done, only what you haven't. So mm. I thought, I'm still relatively young. If it all goes wrong, then pff, I can always try and do something else. Absolutely, yeah. um, And then by coincidence, I got, I got offered a job on, on another car magazine on the same day, again, just by, by luck. Um, but I thought, no. Let's let's try this PR thing um, and see what happens. And um, Paul, very patient, taught me a lot. Um, I loved the writing. Um, I also looked after the Volkswagen press fleet. Right. Yes. That's a powerful role. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yes. All based in Bista. Um, Met some fantastic people. There at Volkswagen Group UK, because of course all the brands are based in Milton Keynes. Mm. Moved from London up to Milton Keynes, um, and I still still live in that area. And it, it was just great. But but it, there, I think to be on the PR side is you have to. I mean, corporate life obviously is is not the same as working on a magazine. Mm. And I, I went from kind of being in car magazines, sort of drifting on a Monday morning, having been raving all weekend in sort of <laughs> in shorts with a hangover. You Obviously, you can't do that when you're in, a, in, a, in an office world. Sure. Um, and there's also a certain amount of patience required. But no, great times. What was that like for you? Did you, did you look at, did you look favourably on letters or phone calls from previous colleagues? Or, or did you have to go, right, no, new line here. I look at everything with, e- with equal thought. Um, the, the latter, because I, I, I think 
having been a journalist and been on some launches as a journalist, meeting all the different people as you do mm. on, on those things, I, I think I had an empathy and understanding for, for, for their job. Yeah. Yes. And um, you, you use the word sort of pandering to PRs uh, a few sentences ago, but, but it's, it's a, it's a, what's the word? It's a, it's a joint relationship between the two. Mm. We need each other. Yes. Yes. Correct, yeah. Um, and, 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 and the role of the, of the, of the press department is earning media as opposed to the marketing department, which pays for its media. Mm. Yes. Um, an, an example that's used, for example, it's much more believable if, if you, John, say, oh, Wayne, he's a great dancer, mm-hmm. which I'm absolutely not, as, as proved the other night at the Attitude Awards, but, um, <laughs> but then, then if I claim it myself. Sure. Yes, it's, it's, it's much stronger, it's much more believable. Um, and and that's, that's essentially the, the role of the press department. Mm. And um, a brand like Volkswagen is, is, um, can be much broader in who it speaks to and who it reaches. Yeah. Um, and in fact, the most exciting bit of the fleet were the commercial vehicles. Ah. Which I also looked after, and um, and ordering the cars and the vans yeah. was the most fun bit. Because you get to spec, actually spec them, don't you? Is it yes, Color yes, schemes, interiors, yes. That's and, and still today, occasionally my colleague Mike lets me loose on the Bentley configurator to spec a car, including <laughs> the one I've just arrived in, which I can tell you about later. Brilliant. Um, and I realised on the vans um, at the time, Volkswagen offered all these optional extras on the vans. I mean. Exotic things like electric windows. Wow. Yes. Air conditioning, fog lights, alloy wheels, <laughs> metallic colours. Yeah. And the fleet as it was was just sort of all white. Mm. But but why can't vans be lovely too and comfortable too? And 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 they were great to drive. Yeah. So um, apparently I was I was one of, one of the I could have got the idea of actually specking up the vans for the press fleet. Um, and then I also went then aside of my um, obsession with buying personal plates, mm-hmm. which was a- a- actually an investment as much as anything else. Because when you when you in those days the the reg would change every twelve months and it came every six months. Yes, but if you put it, put the, if you take the photo the photography on a personal plate, mm-hmm. they don't date. And then when the, and then when the car goes to be resold, it's not. No one's aware it was used to be a press car, which can be a good and a bad thing. Ah, but that yes. actually, ex-press cars are, are great buys because, of course, they're pretty much serviced every single week. Um, but but the job was to maximise the usage of the press fleet. I mean, use it or lose it. We had targets, which we still have today, of, if you can, two and a half loans a month. Obviously, you need a return on the loan. And we, we, we assessed the targets. Yeah. Um, another audience for Volkswagen, which was... A little controversial at the time was, was caravanning. Um, I mean, the, 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 the caravan club is one of the biggest organisations in the UK. Yeah. Um, I went on a caravan, I went on a tow course. Great. Met some of the people, which is, have you, have you ever reversed a caravan? I have. I've, I've trailered some, some cars around and, and uh, yes, that's an art. It is an art. Yeah. Yes. Um, so huge respect for them. So we started putting tow bars on some of the cars, mm. entering the tow car awards which went very well and indeed just bring it back to bentley we were very proud what a month or two ago to win best luxury tow car excellent for the bentega extended wheelbase Perfect. perhaps not the most obvious tow car you might think of but it just shows the breadth of ability of the bentega and what it can do yeah um and that, that was after setting a, um, a record up the hill at goodwood yep do you remember that Tow I, towing I a massive trailer of Two and a half tons, I think it was, of straw. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the story behind that was around the straw being used to make uh, renewable fuel, mm-hmm. which is something we're looking into, and uh, maybe we can come back to. I saw the record at the Festival of Speed, and I was, I was at the Festival of Speed 
funnily enough. Yes. With Bentley. Thank you for that. Okay. And um, I was talking to John about the, the feet. And, of course, the one thing I completely neglected to think about was that car needs to go home, and so does the trailer full of hay. Yes. <laughs> so yes. John had the task of driving it home. <laughs> and I, I, I said to him, um, this is our dear Mr. Smedley, I said, I said to him, but, John, why are you telling all that straw back? I'm sure... Um, I'm sure the Duke would be quite happy with that straw to feed his sheep. Yeah. And he said, no, but Wayne, it's all kind of bolted in. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it, you can't just take it off. So, yes, he had to go take I'm not, I must ask him what he did with it all, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> At an event which is, coincidentally, lined with hay bales. Yes. Which is just, yes. It, it Some was, of which lost their lives that, that weekend. Yes, as, that's as we very saw. true. Yes, anyway. Yeah. yeah, it was a brilliant campaign. I like the idea as well that um, the Bentayga... Is, is now winning awards for tow vehicles. I think it must be one of the very few cars that will be equally as expensive as, as some of these caravans. So, Volkswagen, that was a nice little chapter for four and a half years or so, and then off to Seat. So again, that was luck um, that the, the then head of PR for Seat moved over to Audi. Uh-huh. And this is the great thing about working for Volkswagen Group, yeah. is that it's relatively easy to move from one brand to the other, and it's actually encouraged. Great. Um, and, and this is what happened. There was a sort of reshuffle. He moved to Audi. Um, I then got the Seat gig. And it was just when Seat was about to launch the first Leon. Okay, yeah. Again, remember that? Um, and w- we tried to sort of instill what we call Barcelona-ness mm-hmm. into the brand. Um, and that was really happy, really fun times, many trips to Spain. Um, but then again, chance, phone call, um, not not long, maybe even a year, mm. uh, took me on to Nissan. That's it. So that was the first time leaving the group then, so leaving Volks, the Volkswagen group to head off to Nissan. And that was a good stint of time. So that's six or seven years there. Yeah, 2001, 2007. So how did that happen and, and, and why? Was there was it just a desire to explore something new, a different brand? Um, there was many opportunities at Nissan because at the time um, the brand – was perhaps thought of as not being the most exciting. Mm. Um, but I remember meeting the the MD of um, Nissan GB, told me some of the stuff that was coming. It was just before the, the new Primera was... Do you remember the, um, the one that was designed um, with, with quite sort of sculptured sides, mm. almost like sort of folded paper? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also the 350Z was being talked about at that point. Great. So just really interesting... Um, had a UK factory, a UK design centre. Well, at the time, was just planning a new UK design centre plus um, the big technical centre in Cranfield, mm. not that far from here. So a, a much bigger remit, um, something new. Had amazing time um, in Milton Keynes, um, but it was time for a new challenge. Right. And I, I'd kind of I'd learned to Volkswagen, um, and then it say it that, and I'm sure you subscribe to this as well. Humour. He was good. It is. It's important. And it, and if, if something is vaguely humorous, you're more likely to listen and and, and read. Yeah. Um, I remember when BA did change change the you know the, you know the safety briefing. Yes. Which on most planes you just completely switch off to and you're not actually listening. But when they actually decide to make them funny, yeah. The whole plane kind of looks up and watches. That's right. Yeah. And listens and laughs. So I tr- I tried to in- inject some sort of humor into the press releases, which was I think. Varying degrees of success. Um, but no, that that was really exciting. So I love my trips up to Sunderland. Mm. Have, have you been to the factory there? No, I haven't. Oh, no. you should you should visit. It's yeah. it's, it's amazing. And people are wonderful. Mm. Um, but then I opened the new design centre in Paddington, 
um, course, yeah. which has just celebrated its, uh, what would that be? It was a 20th anniversary. Wow. Yes. Um, yeah. the, the, the K-12 Micra. Then, of course, the Primera. And I did, I did the, um, we did the launch of that at my old school. I did a kind of Hogwarts-type theme. Great. Um, no, great fun, great fun. And then the 350Z. Wow. And I bought some more number plates there. Um. <laughs> well, there is a story that you very kindly, we exchanged, we've exchanged a good few emails back and forth for today about some potential talking topics and things we could, we could say. It, within that Nissan chapter, there was something that you alluded to, but thankfully you've kept it quite brief because I think the, the best version of the story is going to come from you. And it was a line that I've picked out from your email that says, I was very proud of the pink micro delivered to Top Gear along with a paper bag. Now, I can remember this. I remember seeing this. So do you want to, just just in case our dear listeners can't place oh, what that was, tell me okay. that story. So um, the K-12 Micra yep. um, evolved into um, the Micra C plus C. That's it. Coupe plus convertible. convertible with a metal folding roof. Yeah. Yes. Um, a two plus two. Lovely thing. Mm. Very pretty car. But... Not everyone was a fan, and um, one of one of the phone calls, or these days emails that you would used to look forward to but equally dread, was one from the Top Gear team <laughs> wanting to borrow a car. Right. Yes. Yeah. You knew you couldn't say no because mm-hmm. if you say no, it will just come back and hurt you anyway. Yeah, it'd be slander. And they asked for a micro C plus C. And this we should point out as well is in that chapter where Top Gear was at its absolute prime. It's Clarkson, Hammond and May. Exactly. Written yes. by Richard Porter. Yes. Yeah, you've got all the greatest yes. friends. Andy Wilman. <laughs> this oh. is, yeah, this is this is peak time. And you're right. You know, I remember we'd often hear and, and see on the show cars get talked about that didn't get delivered. And yeah. they get absolutely berated, absolutely slated. So you couldn't be the manufacturer that said no. They asked for a micro. C plus C. C plus C. Yes. So in your and did they give any context as to what they were planning to do, oh, or no. was it hello? Please, can we have? Yes. Wow. The, the latter, because you, you you don't know. Yeah. It, 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 you are literally playing with the devil. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's embrace this, <laughs> and let's wrap the car pink. Brilliant. And send it with a paper bag, <laughs> with some with some holes, you know, for, for eyes and mouth. Great. Um, and it was wonderful, Mr. Hammond, who who drove it. Yep. And. Yes, I mean, it, it just—I I can't. I, it, it was fine in the end, to the point that I remember it went out on the Sunday night, and the Monday morning, our dealers had calls wanting to buy pink micro really? C plus Cs, and it led to a limited run of pink micro C plus Cs. Wow! So thank you, Mr. Hammond, for that. That is incredible. That's incredible, and it shows that it works, doesn't it? I mean, my God, you, you, could, did you even foresee that being a possibility? At the time of the idea, let's wrap it pink and let's put a paper bag in. Was there any element in the office that anyone thought this might result in a spike of sales? Not at all. Not wow. at all. But 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 we knew we had to do something because we descended a standard car. It's not going to go well. So let's yeah. have some fun with it. And it and thankfully, thankfully, it, it worked out very well. Brilliant. Love that. Love that. I'm going to desperately find some. Hopefully, Mike, a... look for Mike, a pink micro C plus C. On yeah. Auto Trader. <laughs> yes, we'll find one. So, good stint at Nissan. Which then led to Infinity, which I'm guessing was there a bit of an overlap there? Yes. So, yeah, so yeah. Um, in- Infinity is to Nissan what Lexus is to Toyota. Yes, that's or it. Or Genesis to Hyundai. Yes. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Infinity was launched in oh, um, 89, 88 ish. Oh, was it really? Sa- same year as Lexus. 
and began in America. Ah, right, of course. Yes. Okay. Um, became very successful in America and um, um, Nissan then wanted to take the brand global. Great. And for, for a luxury brand to succeed, it has to work in the toughest luxury market in the world, which is Europe. Wow. Okay. Um, so when 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 the go ahead was um, was agreed and the button pushed, um, Nissan started to assemble a, f- a small team of people. Um, I, I was offered uh, the chance to, to set up the communications function for Infinity across Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, again, an amazing opportunity. Even more so because it would be based outside Geneva in Switzerland. Great. And, and again, if 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 um, you, you or your listeners get, ever get the opportunity to work abroad, just mm. take it. Yeah, agreed. Amazing experience. And, and Switzerland is a wonderful, wonderful country, um, if, if somewhat expensive, but beautiful place to be. So we started out in a porter cabin <laughs> um, on, the back, on the banks of Lac Le Mans um, and set up a communications function for the, for the launch of Infinity across Europe. Wow. Um, and that was also really interesting um, for the first year because we, did, we didn't actually... Uh, we, we we started the job um, a year or two ahead of when we we're actually going to launch the brand. Uh, it was a fascinating period going through Europe, Europe Europeanizing mm. the Japanese or the American spec cars, because um, at the time the the Infinity range was on sale in, in Japan, but as a Nissan. Okay. So of course you had right hand drive from Japan, left hand drive from America. Yeah. Um, but the European perceptual luxury was very different to, at that time, the American. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of work um, improving the perceived quality of the cars, um, little things like switch gear, yeah. e- even down to the, uh, um, the the inside handle for the rear, rear tailgate, okay. tune the ride and handling for European roads. Um, and it, the, the launch coincided with the second generation FX. Can you picture that? I can, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Great buy used now. Mm. Um, very, very well constructed cars. Uh, powered by... Um, the 350Z engine or the 5-litre V8. Um, and we did that very first launch in Geneva and then slowly rolled the brand out across Europe, um, launched the first diesels, uh, which, of course, you know you need for Europe at the time, um, and then their first hybrid. What challenges come with launching a brand? Oh, huge. Mm. Um, and, it, and I guess it's twofold. F- firstly, around is awareness. Yeah. Um, and the second is around you want the car to be... Um, mentioned in the same breath as the equivalent BMW, Audi, Mercedes-Benz, and to yeah. be just as good as, not just to be different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and we were very fortunate, I think, with those cars, that they were just as good as. Um, that They weren't priced any less, because it was important to be priced at the same level, to be perceived as just as good as. Mm. Um, and, and in this case, the the... The motoring press in particular were very important because, of course, if, if they, they set the barometer for whether a car is good or not. Mm-hmm. And if the autocars, the car magazines say, yes, these are as good to drive as a current BMW, you're, you're halfway there. Yeah. Um, we favoured, we, we measure very much on um, uh, traditional Japanese luxury, Japanese hospitality. Mm-hmm. And the brand got off to a very good start in Europe. Um and it's it's really interesting to see today how Genesis is doing the same. Yes, of course. Um, and they're doing a great job yeah. with, with a with a great product range. Absolutely. And Instead of spokesperson for Bentley, but yeah, <laughs> but but it's, it's but it's a long journey. I, I remember Huge, um, yeah. when I was at school, my father drove Audis, uh-huh. and um, this was what I don't know, 
beginning of the eighties, yeah. and I remember he got a new Audi two hundred, and I've, I get vivid memory of being parked outside the school, going to get in the car, and um, my schoolmates saying, "What is this?" Wow, yeah, and look where Audi is now. No, no one looks at the four rings and say, "What is this?" Mm. Um, so patience to Genesis, you'll get there. I'm going to cut to a very quick advert break, and then when we come back, I'm going to explore the next two chapters of your working life it feels a bit like this is your life doesn't it we don't usually go through careers in this extent but i'm quite enjoying this and i hope our listener is as well because the two next chapters are quite big firstly is mclaren through a vitally interesting period of time 2012 to 2019 and i have the full list of cars don't you worry dear listener and then of course the role that you're in now with bentley and then once we've got to that point i want to explore this fascinating world of pr in the modern day And we're going to explore all sorts of things like getting on the good side of PR, the bad side of PR, uh, the joys of car launches, all the things that journalists like me want to know about that we we rarely get a glimpse of until... The PR team have had a few drinks on a on, on, on a launch event. Not me, not me. <laughs> so uh, bear with us, dear listener. We're going to cut to a quick advert break, and we'll be back very shortly. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Driven Chat Podcast. And we're back. So, yes, exciting next chapter, Wayne. We are exploring the next brand. So following Infinity, and this is a, I guess, another, it's another big change, isn't it? You're leaving a group that you've been in with Nissan and then Infinity to then go and do something else. Now that something else is, well, in fact, you've got a list of roles in this time period. Global head of PR, head of communications, and then global communications director, 2012, 2019, and that is with McLaren. Yes. Um, what a time. So, so, so again, that was just that was luck and a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of finished the job of launching Infinity across Europe. Um, all, all the markets were were operating, um, and then another phone call from. Um, wonderful man um, called Matt Bishop, who actually be a great subject um, for this, perhaps, but okay. much more interesting than me, um, who was at that point the comms director for McLaren Racing. Right. But he and I had worked together at Car Magazine, uh, where he was sub-editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had an opening for um, someone to come and join McLaren Automotive to run the PR department initially. And it was a year after, year-ish after the then called MP412C to mixed reaction. Mm. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, and McLaren was was doing trying to do the same that Infinity had done. Okay. I.e., launch against two of the biggest names in sports cars, i.e., Ferrari and Lamborghini, mm. um, and become credible. 
raise awareness as for McLaren's as, as a car company as opposed to just an F1 team. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the challenge was really exciting. Yeah. And I kind of f- felt that um, sometimes you get you get to a job and you're thinking, okay, this is great, very interesting, but where's the newness? Mm-hmm. Um, so the phone call came right at the, just at the right time. Matt is an amazing person, went to meet them, randomly, bizarrely, they offered me the job and got to work at the McLaren Te- uh, Technology Centre in Woking. Right. Um, have you been there? I, I have, only on the outside. I've not, oh. I've not seen the, um, the meticulous tiling or anything else inside. I've done a, been part of a few events that happened outside the front, but never walked through the oh, door. Oh, no, they're Which lovely way? people. You must get the most amazing building. Yes. Um, and you've, you've got the atrium that kind of overlooks the lake. You must, you yes. put, you must yeah, see of pictures of that. Yeah. And... You, 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 it's, it's so well designed um, by Mr. Dennis. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is you walk through these long tunnels and you clear your mind mm-hmm. and you appear up in the atrium and you walk past all the heritage of, of McLaren before you go upstairs to your desk if you can find one. <laughs> um, so and people say, why did you go to McLaren? Well, to drive the cars. No, that, that wasn't it at all. Mm. And in fact, I think we were talking earlier about uh, driving fast cars and it's always a relief to give them back. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was sort of take, taking McLaren for the weekend. I'd just be so relieved on the Monday morning to drive back <laughs> through the gates with the thing still in the same, yeah. same conditions when I took it away. Um, it's worth pointing out, I think, and again, I, I, only a couple of weeks ago, whilst recording with, with another guest, Ian Flux, who's had a fascinating, wild career as a racing driver. And he was talking about his time driving the McLaren F1 racing car oh, wow. in the 1990s. He was the 1996 British GT champion in that car. Yes. Um, with the iconic Lloyds of London livery on the side of blue and white. And um, having to remind our listeners, because a lot of them are, are of, a, of an age where if I say, think of five supercar brands, McLaren mm. will be there instantly. Yes. Ferrari, Lamborghini, mm. McLaren. They'll, they'll list it off. But you're absolutely right. You're at, a t- you're at a time here, at your time of joining McLaren, a year into the launch of what was essentially the first McLaren road car, dedicated road car since the F1. Yep. And I know there was the Mercedes-McLaren crossover, wasn't there, with the SLR. SLR, yes. But ultimately, in 2011, going on 2012, McLaren is a new brand to a huge number of people. And I feel it's also important because I've got them all listed here. And do do correct me if I've missed any. But so in your time, 2012 to 2019 at McLaren, MP412C is launched. Then, of course, the P1. Huge, absolute monster of a car to launch, which I'm sure has many stories of its own. But then we've got 650S, 675LT, 570S, 570GT, 720S, the Senna, 600LT, and the Speedtail, and the McLaren GT, all up to 2019. Did you say the 675 LT? I did. I think I did. I might have missed it. But yes, yeah, 675 yes. LT is on there as well. <laughs> All of the best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the 675 LT. I have, I have particularly fond memories of both the 675 LT and the 720S, both of yes. which just yes. completely transformed the way, once, once I'd driven them, the way I looked at fast cars and felt about fast cars because they are just insanely quick i've been very lucky also to have a good drive of an mp412c i'm not driven a p1 or many of the others 570 gt i've driven but yeah this that that 720 especially i did a Mm. fantastic day at donnington with uh, dto motorsport where they had they have one which they send you out in for a bit of 
on track tuition. And it's one of the very few cars that I've experienced. And it took me back to being a child in the, in the passenger seat of a fast car, if dad or, or somebody else is driving a fast car. And that sensation of being pushed back into your seat under acceleration, you can almost feel the foam of the seat conforming to your body yes. because of that power. And experiencing that for the first time as a driver in a 720S, accelerating to the point where it feels like you're the passenger being pushed back. And it was it, one of the only, the very few cars that made me realise that that was a possibility, which so, is just amazing. So such a beautiful, beautiful shape. Absolutely. Um, but also very easy to drive slowly. Yes. Which yeah. is what I used to do. So, <laughs> But that's, that's what makes them so special, isn't it? It's yeah. that ability to do it all. Um, a bit like, yeah, I often say the same about GT3 Porsches. You have the ability to drive brilliantly fast on track if you have that ability but equally if you then just want to pop down to the shops or drive through a bit of traffic in in the center of town it can do both jobs remarkably well which is really special so yeah let's let's explore that chapter because that is a that is a huge one um and also ron dennis i mean mm. how closely did you work with ron oh goodness um so quite closely um well certainly to start with um so I guess early on automotive was still very much his baby. So he mm. was, he was involved operationally every day. Yeah. Um, and I remember my first meeting with him was on my first day. And um, I think Matt was showing me around and we went into one of the workshops and we were looking, there was, we went to see the P1 actually, um, although it wasn't called the P1 at that time. And Ron walked in and the fear <laughs> on everyone's face wow. as he, it was like, Ron's coming, Ron's coming. And he walked in and I think there was some untidiness. Right. And he shouted at everybody and swore. <laughs> I, can't, I wouldn't say exactly what he said, but, and, and everyone ran around, tidied it all up, of course, and then he just stormed off again. So that was my first meeting with Ron. Wow. Um, although I didn't speak to him at that time. Um, I then had to go and meet him in his office and um, he, his office was on, on one side of, of the technology center in, in the kind of the, the office, the, the director's area. Beautiful, beautiful office, beautifully furnished, wonderful view over the lake and the heron that used to sit there. Um, and I was terrified, yeah. as, as you would be. Yeah, well, there, there were these stories, and I don't know how many of them are true and how many of them were exaggerated, but I heard stories of you know, the meticulous layout. You, you said beforehand that... Ron had essentially designed or, or been a crucial part of designing this building, this entire centre. Everything had been thought out, that process of walking through the tunnels and um, seeing the heritage fleet. But also the little details, and I, hear, I remember hearing stories like if there was a, a bit of grouting surrounding a tile that wasn't quite right, then that would be replaced. And if that couldn't be replaced, then the, the tile would be replaced. But in replacing one tile, that would then look different to all the other tiles. So you'd hear of corridors of floor tiles being replaced because of a tiny little thing that he'd noticed. Was it that meticulous? Were, yes. there, were there days where you'd walk around and see huge changes because something had scuffed a wall? Um, but, but no one scuffed a wall. And, and um, I, I guess you, 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 it, it could sound obsessive, but but why not? Mm. Yes? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, 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 the story was that the, the, um, the factory for the cars, um, they grew it by, I can't remember, a centimetre or something because to make the tiles fit. Otherwise, <laughs> because one of the tiles would have to be cut. But right. no, let's have the tiles all the same. There, there were rules in the office like you shouldn't put a coffee cup on your desk. Mm -hmm. You should get up from your desk, 
go to the tea area and have your coffee there and then come back. Okay. Which actually is, is a great discipline in itself, isn't it? You it should is. get up from your desk and go right. for a walk and have a coffee. Yes, yes. Um, you weren't allowed to put your jacket on the back of the seat. Yeah. Again, fine. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I have learned since is about he, he hated visible cabling. Mm. And I can see that cable I across can, again to your mic. I can relate to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, my life. E- everything is hidden. Yeah. Yeah. But again, why not? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, but for all that, he was, is a very fair, um, a, a very fair and good man. Mm-hmm. And um, that first meeting was around the launch of the P1. And it was we were coming up to the Paris Motor Show. And I, and the car was going to be launched there. And I said to him, well, why are we doing everything at once? Why can't we just take longer? Mm-hmm. We need to build awareness for McLaren, let alone McLaren and a hypercar again. Mm. Um, we've, got, we've got time. There's Geneva Motor Show coming up. Let's spread our stories. And I remember him saying to me, all right, Wayne, you're the expert. <laughs> um, and... The car was shown at Paris as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't see the interior. Didn't show the engine. Um, and thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully that went well. And right. then the car was shown in final form at Geneva six months later. Brilliant. Um, in a different colour. So refreshed the story. And, and twice the share of voice you'd have got otherwise. So that, that first showing at Paris... Did that invite deposits? Was that the purpose of the car being shown? And yes. It, and that, that yeah. worked. Um, and and McLaren um, and, and Bentley's on it again now with uh, with our Mulliner coach built cars. Um, they, we, they talk to the customers behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And there's enough demand there that the deposits are placed before you even reveal the car. Brilliant. So if you want one, I'm afraid you're too late. They've gone. Yeah. Um, but I remember the show stand at Paris. Um was um, was created by a company called um, Connect Live, who I still work with mm-hmm. today at Bentley. And Ron had designed the show stand. Okay. And he designed it with sloping edges. Right. Because his view was that the, the show stand, um, rightly or wrongly, should be a display for his pieces of art, the cars. Okay, yeah. And there's no need for people to walk onto the stand. Right. Hence, you've got these white polished <laughs> sloping sides yes. that were you to go on the stand, you would then leave very quickly on your backside. <laughs> in the direction you came. Yes. Um, so we had to explain to him that, Ron, we do need to let people on the stand. And again, he listened and said, yes, OK, yeah, got it, fine. Um, but I think we had to have, I mean, it was like constant cleaning, keeping those beautiful floors clean. And the the kind of, the the moment of theatre with the P1, as I'm sure you can remember, is the rear spoiler. Absolutely, yes. Not called spoilers, are they? What are they called? Wing. Wing, thank you, wing. Um, And the way it emerged up, Mm. and um, it wasn't working on the car, so we had to have a, a poor, poor engineer in the in the kind of false floor under the under the car with a laptop <laughs> to at the right moment in the press conference press the button wow. for the wing to pull up which thankfully it did 
Oh my goodness. Yes. It was such a, a, a jaw-dropping moment, wasn't it? The launch of the P1. What a thing to do as essentially the, the, the follow-on car, which isn't a follow-on, follow-on's the wrong, the wrong word, but the following car to the MP412C, which of course made a lot of people sit up and realise that, oh, hypercars or supercars, I guess, for the MP4's sense, don't necessarily have to look the way that we expect them to look. It was quite a, a, a different looking car. It was a very futuristic looking car, the interior especially with that slightly large screen in the center that was a new mm. thing for supercars it was something we'd started to see on road cars but in a supercar that was quite special the twisting that's the one thing i'll remember is the the twisting buttons and knobs yes which yes. was very resemblant of a racing car which again yes. other manufacturers hadn't quite done perhaps ferrari might have done one or two on a steering wheel but other than that it was all just push buttons and then suddenly this p1 comes on which is for all intents and purposes an actual spaceship that thing is a ufo the the public, I remember the perception of everyone looking and the first, perhaps the first screening, which would have been what most people would have seen it on, which was Top Gear, mm. seeing that car being driven mm. around, was it Spa, I think, Clarkson mm. at the wheel? And just everyone just going, what on earth is this thing? Is this now what supercars or hypercars, as the new coin phrase was, is this what they now look like? And Because it was just so radically different. So I'm guessing, I mean, it, it mustn't have been a, a difficult car to launch in the, in terms of getting the deposits and interest in. And what was the proportion of people putting deposits down? Were they people that had already driven the MP4 or owned an MP4? Or was this a completely new market of people that came in and said, I love it, I have to have it? Um, I would say a mix. Mm. Um, I mean, come back to the design, it was Frank Stephenson. Yeah. Um, and the MP4-12C, which we quickly renamed the 12C. Yes, of course. Easy to remember. Although I'm very impressed that you remembered MP4 12C. <laughs> um, um, was, I mean, it's an oxymoron, but the everyday supercar. Mm. Yeah, so as we said, it rode very well. Yes. Um, the, the interior was quite minimalist, mm. um, but you could live with it every day and it wasn't too shouty in the way it looked That's right. until you heard it. Um, very British. Yes. But but the P1, um, I mean, the, the challenge wasn't so much selling it the challenge was that it had to be the best because mm. you remember there was the holy trinity at the yeah, time of course yeah. yes 918 la ferrari p1 exactly all coming along at roughly the same time yeah and it was i think i mean i guess we were quite lucky where we were but the pressure was on the engineering team yeah um because it had to be the best of the three but in fact actually as often the case with a comparison test, and I'm, and I'm sure you've done comparison tests, where actually it's almost a horses for courses verdict. They're all doing slightly different things. And you either like one or you don't like the designer, one or the other. Yeah. Um, and then there was which was the fastest. Yeah. The big debate was around the the ring time. Mm. Yes. And getting into the ridiculous battle over who was the fastest round the ring, which in the end we just decided to opt out of. Okay. Because it's 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 not, um, gosh, I'm trying to eke out my memory now. It, the, the, those ring times are not policed, not policed. Got it. Yes. Yeah. It's not like um, when when you're I know, even driving up Goodwood Hill. Yeah. Yes, up the hill climb, you're timed. Yeah. You're, you're kind of running it yourself, mm. and it's so also so weather dependent, so time of the year dependent. When you get down to those fractions of a second, yeah. What's the point? Yeah. yeah. And you set a time, and then your rival then want to go 0.01 of a second quicker. And ultimately what's going to happen is someone gets hurt Yes, at, at the worst. Yeah. Um, so 
we just copped it out of that. And then from a PR point of view, it was, who do you give the car to? Mm. Particularly when you only had one car. Yes. And this was uh, P100V? Yes, P1OOV. OOV. But also making sure it was prepared to the very best level it could be. Mm-hmm. And um, McLaren was, obviously with its F1 experience, was was really good at supporting track events, track drives. Of course, yeah. And temperatures of tyres, all these things are so important, making sure um, the tyres are warmed up, the car is operating to its best potential that it could possibly do. And then it's up to the driver, the journalists, mm. to then do their stuff. But of course, you would then take along your own test driver to to help the journalists get the best from the car Yeah. to ultimately get the best time. What an event. What an incredible thing to launch. And how... Because I think people love the drama of the Holy Trinity and the, the rivalry, let's say, between the three brands. How much of a rivalry was there? Was there any rivalry at all? Or was it just, look, we've, we've done our thing. It just so happens that the guys at Marinello have done something and the guys at Stuttgart have done something else. And it made for this brilliant story, the Italians versus the Brits versus the Germans. What was it like from from your side? Did, was there any kind of communication with the other companies? Um, yes, yes. I'm trying to remember now. Um Ferrari, um, as I recall, weren't perhaps so cooperative. Okay, but but certainly from our point of view, and I and I still believe this today. McLaren, Bentley, whatever brand you're working for, you're doing your thing, mm. and of course you're aware of what the others are doing, uh, what your rivals are up to as well, and you keep a watch and you you're, you keep yourself informed, yeah. but believe in what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, and. The, the P1 had a second job, which was to give a halo to the 12C. Yeah. And and again, further build awareness for the McLaren brand. So P, while P1 was doing was off doing its stuff, um, it left us to concentrate on 12C, knowing that there was the more affordable, relatively speaking, McLaren on its way. Mm. Um, I said that we simplify the name to the 12C, introduce the spider version yes. with an I, not a Y. Um, at the time... Um, again, fortunately um, for me, the, the marketing director, where they were in between marketing directors, so I, I stepped into that role as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to add some emotion and warmth to the brand. So it was simple things like go, going from everything being black to everything being white, introducing the orange, mm. the McLaren racing colour. Yeah. Um, looked at the naming. So that so the P1, P1 as a name, um, there were several options and again i remember the conversation with mr dennis about p1 being simple to understand yeah it's an alphanumeric yeah like f1 um and had that formula one reference definitely and was easy to understand and and remember yeah which is also very important particularly when you're building a brand so um the what the, the sports series the super series the ultimate series um, naming structure, using the power output with the different letters. Mm. Um, that was something that brought in with the 650S, yes, which was the significant upgrade to the 12C. Um, then the Spider versions. And then, of course, then the 570S came along. Um, where are we now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in order of... I've got the order here, following P1, 650S. Yes. Then... 675LT. Oh, yes. Like, so, Gosh, how could you forget that? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so the LT name, that was interesting. Mm. So so um, 
looking for what that could be called. And McLaren has this very rich heritage. And just doing research, of course, came across the um, the long tail. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. And the, the LT does have a slightly longer tail because of the uh, bigger rear wing. That's right. Um, and that, that's where that came from, abbreviated to LT. Yeah. And I think we did that launch at Silverstone, I think it was. Um, and incredible car, such a good-looking car as well Great still. Car. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But were the values to justify that? Yeah, quite. And do you think, the, did the P1, did that pave the way in the sense of once that had run its course and everyone in the world had seen how brilliant it was and that amazing wing and the great press shots of you know, fire shooting out the back. Yes. All Jeff Williams' photo, I can recall it now with the, the fire shooting out the exhaust. Did that make then shifting the likes of the 650, the 675, the 570, the 570 GT, did that make that easier, do you think? The fact that this Concorde car had come along to then pave the way for the the rest of the road cars? Oh, for sure. But, but, but they all stood on their own, though, mm. each of those cars. And... Um, I remember that the 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 ultimate objective was to get the five star verdict in autocar. Yes. Yes. Um and the 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 work that went into that um making sure the time of year was right, the track was right, the car was right um and waiting for the confirmation that we got the five star verdict because if it was even <laughs> one half a star yes, off. Of course. There'd be engineers throwing themselves in the lake. <laughs> or being thrown in the lake. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd throw themselves first. Because yeah. it, was, it was such a matter of pride. Of course. Yes? Yeah, yeah, of course. And, 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 and you, can, you see the sales curve mm. of McLaren during that time. It, it, it worked. Yeah. Um, and they were and still are amazing cars. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish them all the, all the best. I guess then it's time to move on to the next chapter, which is, of course, is, is the present chapter, which is a huge one and back with the Volkswagen Group, but continuing with another British brand. So Bentley Motors, talk to me about that. How did that come about? Um, well, again, I guess luck um, <laughs> and a chance phone call. Um, I remember it was, I was actually on my three-day honeymoon, because <clears throat> that's all I could take was three days, uh-huh. um, um, with my husband in Yorkshire, very glamorous. Lovely, yeah. Um, and again, phone call from um, an executive search I met a man I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me the question, which brands would take you away from McLaren? What a question. Um, and I said two brands, one of which was Bentley. And he said, well, that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm calling about so we, we finished the honeymoon and um i've been lent at the time a um a rolls-royce phantom okay wonderful things said a spokesperson bentley but they are unique <laughs> unique cars and um anyway met up um with the man um and then went for my interviewing crew which was really weird it's like you, you, i don't know if you've ever been back to your school no, I haven't. But if, if, if you return to somewhere you haven't been to for like, you know, a couple of decades, yeah. but you've got kind of vague memory, yeah. everything seems bigger and yes, mm-hmm. um, and sort of vague recollect re- memories. And I remember walking down what the, the corridor, which was called Mahogany Row, because all the doors are wood, yeah. where all the board offices were and the CEO's office. 
um, and and meeting the CEO. And I'd driven up um, in my, um, I had a a C7 Audi RS6 at the time, Mm -hmm. wonderful car. Um, And I just had a phone call on the way because we just had a leak. Um, sorry, not, not, a, not a domestic leak, yeah. um, a, a leak of a, of a story. Okay. Um, which is always the worst news Absolutely. from a press department. Mm. Um, and I like to believe that most people are good and very. I've only ever had one deliberate leak. It's always by accident. You okay. know, the photograph's in the wrong folder or something at a picture desk. And, yeah. and this is what happened. Anyway. So I walked in the office somewhat stressed and I would let think, God, I've done such a bad job. Forget all about that, Wayne. Just get it out of your mind. Mm. Um, and just drove home and then amazed to get a phone call that evening to say that they want to offer you the job. Um, so, yes, we returned to Bentley again at a, at a really exciting time. Um, it was 2019. Brown was just about to celebrate its centenary. Um, and, and it's strange going from a brand like McLaren that was barely 10 years old to this to Bentley, which was then 99 years old. Yes. Um, the CEO, I mean, um, Adrian Hallmark, um, my current boss, um, amazing boss, amazing leader. He just taken. He just returned to Bentley himself. The the period of change that was coming up, again, was a really exciting law. Mm. McLaren is a is a small company. Bentley is slightly bigger, and um, I'd say the perfect size mm. because um, you know four and a half thousand people work for Bentley. Everything's in one place, which makes it very easy to get around and see everybody. Yeah. Um, based in the UK, in the Northwest, lovely part of the country, and yet part of Volkswagen Group, as you were saying. Yeah, quite. And I'm a bit like I did with, with McLaren. It's worth going through. And I know all, all the cars I'm going to mention here, you weren't necessarily there for the launch of these cars, but they were active at the time that you joined. So the iconic cars like the Mulzahn, one of my absolute all-time favourite Bentleys, just adore it. Love You've it. driven one. I have. Mm. Yeah. In fact, we did one. We we did a test for one. I uh, contacted Mike and said, "I know you don't make them anymore, but do you have one on the Heritage Fleet? Because I'd love to drive one." And we did a feature on it, and it just it's just magical. Just Was it C twelve BML? Yes. The duo tone, uh, silver and black. Yes. That's yes. It. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We now have another one. We we now got two on our Heritage Fleet. Brilliant. Um, no, wonderful, wonderful I cars. Just, and the, the switch yeah. gear. Do you remember the, the, the glass top switches? Absolutely. Just yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Everything about that car I, I absolutely adored. And in fact, I have this very, very vivid memory. And this is going back to before I, I guess, I'm doing that thing where I think I'm, I'm replacing memories and or, or se- sequencing <laughs> memories in the wrong time frame. But I, it would have been around 2013, I guess. Yeah. Driving home. So I, had, I was working in Notting Hill, living in Wimbledon. And I used to, for my insanity, drive to the office every day. I was working for government. Slowly. Yeah, very slowly. It was either spend an hour and a half, two hours on the tube going from Wimbledon to Latimer Road on the tube, which was a bit of a faff, or the equivalent time, but sat in my own BMW M3 and listening to my own music. Yeah. So that's what I opted for. But yeah, that was the time I was working for Gumball. And I'll never forget driving back towards Wimbledon through Roehampton and seeing this enormous Bentley and it was probably just coming into wintertime. It was that, that confusing time of the year where people forget to turn their lights on. We all see it. Oh, yes. Cars driving yeah. along with daytime running lights yes. on, but nothing else. And I was sat in traffic, two-lane traffic, pointing in the same direction. And there's this absolute yacht of a Bentley with no rear lights on. And it's dark. And I pull up alongside, wind the window down. I notice his front DRLs are on. And I, I kind of gave him a little wave. And I'm there in a bright blue M3. And this guy looks across and said, your headlights aren't on. 
And he's looking down, and he's like <laughs> faffing around with the switch gear, trying to turn it on. Then he turns on the side lights, but not the headlights. No, no, now your side lights are on, but the headlights aren't on. And he looked across at me and he said, I've only just bought this thing. I can't work out how it works. I said, well, it's beautiful. And I didn't even know what it was. I just, mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's beautiful. I eventually got them on and off I went. But there was something about it. I remember rolling forward as, as you would, looking in the wing mirror at this car to now see the headlights on and just thinking, my God, what that, what is that? It mm. is just glorious. And of course, I went home, immediately Googled what it was and saw that it was Mozan. And from that moment onwards, I thought, I have to experience one of these cars someday. And I was so delighted when Mike arranged that. Um, but yeah, what a car. Sorry, massive tangent there. Uh, also in your time there, the uh, Generation 2 of the Continental. Three. Was it? But two was that... Uh... Oh, was it three? The yeah. Launch? Ah. Yes. No. So. Um, oh, so I thought you would. I thought it would have been two, but there we go. Okay, three. Yes. Yeah, so three came along in 2018. Yes. The current generation. Yes. Of yes. Course, yeah. Um, although second generation, fantastic cars. Yeah. Um, obviously much more more affordable than a Gen three. Mm. Um, and we're about to introduce an upgrade to the switch gear. Ah. You, you know the thing where you drive a kind of. Um, I mean, I, I just bought bought recently a 2018 car yeah and the apple car play has apple car play yes. but it doesn't have a touch screen you're kind of in the yes, you know what i mean yeah 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 and the nav isn't quite so good and one has been spoilt by modern cars mm-hmm. so buy a second generation gt or flying spur mm-hmm. and soon there'll be an upgrade to the to the central oh, wow. infotainment system literally pull out plug in a new system and you've got completely modern tech huh. in a still fantastic car that's yeah. that more affordable than a third generation. So, yeah, so Gen 3 Continental, Bentayga. That, Bente- that must have been a huge chapter. Um, so but Bentayga um, was before me. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess the, the first f- first launch I went to was um, the V8 engine. Yeah. V8 engined third generation car. Um, and then Bentley's first electrified product, uh-huh. which was the hybrid version of the first generation Bentayga. Okay. Yes. yes. Um, very important car from a corporate perspective um, because that then led to the announcement in November 2020, 5th of November 2020, of Bentley's Beyond 100 strategy, mm-hmm. which is about making Bentley um, the leader in sustainable luxury mobility. Great. Um, but prior to that, um, the other thing that was going on was around the, the rebirth of Mulliner. Uh-huh. Um, so in case your listeners aren't aware, Mulliner is the oldest name in coach building. That's it. Um, dates back to the 1800s. Um, we have the original address, which is in Northampton. Wow. Not, far, not that far from here. Um, and indeed, um, I was out shopping with my husband and I thought, let's go and find it. Yeah. Let's find the address. And we went to a row of Victorian terraced houses. And um, no sign of Mulliner. Mm. But then I was starting to take pictures. And I remember this um, BMW 318 with blacked out windows came up and the window came down. This smell of, you can imagine what came out the window. And he's like, what are you doing? So I could, anyway, we ran. But So it um, dates back to <laughs> 1800s. Started as a coach builder, literally did all the, all the Royal Mail coaches. Yeah. Um, and then came under the ownership of, of Rolls-Royce and Bentley. Because up until the... Where would we be up to the fifties? You would buy a chassis and an engine, mm. and then you go to a coach builder to put your That's body right. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
Prior to, I guess, Adrian's arrival, Mulliner had become almost a trim level. Adrian led the... Re- if, if, if McLaren can do um, few offs, yep. why can't Bentley? Yeah, too right. And proved since, yes, Bentley can. Um, so it was the launch... Um, um, the first car was called the Bacalar. Mm-hmm. And this car was just in creation when I when I joined. Yeah. Um, Two seater, um, open top, so a barquetta. Yeah. No roof. Um, Twelve units. All sold. So sorry, John, you're too late. Yeah. Um, and we were going to and we were going to show that at the Geneva Motor Show in March 2020. Mm-hmm. Which of course yes didn't happen. Didn't happen. Um, and it literally didn't happen, I think, two days before it was supposed to happen. Yes, that's right. It was very close to the wire, wasn't yeah. it? It was just that peak of COVID. Are we doing things? Are we not doing things? That dreadful time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'd, we'd held the truck outside Switzerland. Wow. And when the decision, when we finally heard the decision, the truck turned around, drove back to crew, and we did what was then our first virtual press conference uh-huh. in the main showroom visitor center uh in crew yes and showed the car there and of course it was sold out at that point anyway mm. um we then had that whole covid period because another part of my job is we look after um communications to staff to our colleagues yes um which is as important as the external role Completely, yeah. um and going through like everyone as i'm sure you were listening to boris listening to all the mm. announcements that scary time about what's going to happen next yeah um and then with the board deciding that the right thing to do was to obviously shut the factory yes for the safety of colleagues we didn't we didn't have to we had a full order book we had parts yeah um industry was allowed to keep going yeah but we were one of the first to make the right decision Mm. to shut down the factory literally was that was taken on the tuesday by friday all the cars covered up, everything mothballed, um, and the factory was shut for about seven weeks. Mm. But realised that um, I mean, keeping the lights on literally was costing money, yeah. um, which you can't sustain forever. No, and even if you were carrying on building cars, the process of then handing those cars over, it was impossible, I would imagine. Um, there were ways, as we found. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, and th- the task was then to get persuade colleagues it was safe to come back to work. Yeah. Um, and as a team, we came up with this Comeback Stronger campaign, um, went through the site, and this was just a kind of cross-functional team that was brought together, making sure that all the distancing was there. Remember that? Mm, distancing? I do, yeah, crazy. Hand sanitizer, all of that, one-way systems. Um, and, of course, if you're building a car, it involves getting quite close to people. Absolutely, and, and, yeah. And, have you been to our factory? I have, yeah, not for a good few years, okay. but I, yeah, I came up. It would have been, it would have been around twenty fifteen. Oh I, goodness, I'd say so. It was fairly, fairly soon after the big build or refurb of the showroom at Crew. Yes, so just yeah. up the road, CW One House, as we yeah. call it. Yes, and I know now that even the road leading up to that is pedestrianised. That's right. Yes. So I've not actually been since then, but I remember. I, I vividly remember the tour. I vividly remember everything about the factory being absolutely inspired by it all. I think at the time I was freelancing and writing for Tim Hutton through one of his oh, yes. magazines. I remember, yeah. Um, and it was the first, I think the first 
factory, one of the first factory visits I would have done. And it did what it does to so many people. You walk away from that environment with this whole new understanding of the brand and admiration for the brand. And I think for me, it was walking around and meeting the people and you know, meeting the ladies stitching the the emblems onto the leather and hearing the stories of where they came from. And it was just, yeah, a wonderful, um, magical place. So I can only imagine now it's even more magical. I should probably come back. You should come back. Yeah. And yes, it is even more magical. And, I, and I, even in the four years I've been there, mm. um, I can see the changes. Um, and I mean, coming back to the, the people, we, we have two robots. Mm. And um, the, the story are, we have, we have four full-time tour guides that are constantly taking customers yes. around. And, and the, the story they always tell is one is called Romeo, one is called Juliet, <laughs> but we keep them apart oh. because we don't <laughs> want baby robots. Anyway, um, But we had to make it safe for colleagues to come back and um, that was all done. And in the end, I remember um, on, the, on that day we reopened the factory, all but two colleagues turned up. One had had a car accident on the way and he was fine. Oh, no. Um, and the second one had set through their alarm. But everyone wanted to come back to work because <laughs> wow. they wanted to keep working, wanted to keep building cars, knowing it was safe. Yeah. Um, but we're, whenever we get um, people like to visit us, and when you come and see us next, please, yeah. um, Walking around the factory, it's, it's, an, it's a reminder of, as you said, what a magical place, what a magical place it is. Um, and we are we're the biggest employer in the area. And um, I remember when I first joined, you would meet people and you say, um, hello, I'm Wayne, I just joined. Hello, I'm Bob. H how long have you been here, Bob? Um, oh, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. I, I, people come there and they stay there. Absolutely. And the other um, thing I remember seeing was... Um, Generations of family members. That's right. Fathers yes. and sons, yes. brothers who, you know, one had worked there 10 years prior and then convinced their brother to come and get a job there. And now they both work on the same production line. And it just, it, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? And you know that you've got, when you're that passionate about a brand that you can convince your son or daughter to then go and work for that brand. I just, I just found the whole, the whole operation was just great to see that because it's quite an old fashioned um, perception, I think, with companies that you would have that generational perception. I, I can't think of many other, I can't think of really like tech companies, which I guess are the biggest companies now, having generational employees where your father works there, so then your daughter goes and works there. It's um, it, it's something that seems so traditionally British and, and lovely, and it was just great to see that it's still like that. Really, really cool. And it's also quite incestuous. Mm. So, I mean... <laughs> um, Remember my team, she she joined Bentley 20 years ago uh -huh. um, when the first generation Continental GT was launched. Yeah. Because, I mean, that that was a breakthrough for the company because it went from, what, building 700 cars a year to almost overnight building 7,000, yeah. and now we're at double that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously a, a large number of new colleagues were brought on at that time. And her now partner... She met at that time, uh, and there, you'll find lots of that at Bentley. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, it is one big family. Yeah. It's, it's just the most wonderful place, Great. wonderful place. So uh, in your time there, it's all so far at Bentley, um, what have been the most exciting cars to launch? Goodness. Um, hard one, because I, I think they're all equally interesting. Mm. Um, maybe the... Most recently, I guess, the Flying Spur, yeah. the current Flying Spur. That, that was the first launch, I guess, I was involved in from the start. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and have you you've driven those, haven't you? I haven't the driven the latest one. iteration. Okay, well you can fix that. Um, beautiful, beautiful car. It's it's a it's a big car. Yeah. It's not quite as big as a Mulsanne, but it's what five point three meters long. Yes. Yet, um, capable of two hundred and seven miles an hour. <laughs> it's just crazy. Well, we, we talk about the polarity of Bentley. Mm. Yes, because. Um, it does 207 miles an hour, yet you'd be very happy to be chauffeured to the airport in it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that yeah. was my conclusion with the Mulsanne review. It was the car that you could be driven in, but you were very happy to drive. And that is such an important factor. It's a driver's car. And I know I did the very cliche comparison of Rolls-Royce and Bentley, which you shouldn't do. However, for me, I love the idea of being driven in a Rolls-Royce. I don't want to drive a Rolls-Royce. For me, I don't want to pull up at set traffic lights and have that attention on me with people looking in at the Rolls-Royce driver. Whereas, for whatever reason, Bentley has a completely different image. And that might just be a completely personal thing for me. But for me, it's I, I look at a Bentley, I look at the person that chooses to buy the Bentley as someone that enjoys driving. I don't think that about the Rolls-Royce driver. Um, well, I, I wouldn't speak of Rolls-Royce, the no. beautiful cars. Um, but we know from... Um, from what our retailers tell us, and, and obviously the, the mileage we see on the cars, that Bentleys are used every day. Yeah, absolutely right. And and, and why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it, it varies from market to market, but, you're, but the, the 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 usual situation is that a customer will go for a discreet exterior, mm. but a much more overt, bright interior, because of course that's where you spend your time. Um, and Flying Spur, um, I'm looking at some figures recently has the highest monthly mileage of any of our cars. Wow. So customers use them every day. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, why wouldn't you? Um, I, I, t- I took the train down to London from Milton Keynes um, on Wednesday. And um, my husband said, there's, there's a flying spur. And there was a, a brand new flying spur just amongst all the other cars outside in the train station car park. <laughs> and it was there when we got back on Thursday. And why wouldn't you drive your flying spur to the train station and leave it there? <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, so we did a launch, um, as, as, as you might imagine, in Monaco, um, which is uh, when, we, when, we, when we look at venues for these events, you can either go kind of small mm. and find a, find a hotel, because you know, we all need to sleep somewhere, f- find a hotel that's, ab- that's just the right size for the event, or you can be in a much bigger hotel. Mm-hmm. The advantage of the former is that you have complete control. Yes. And you're not upsetting anybody. And I remember a time at McLaren where um, we decided to do the drive away outside the hotel. Mm-hmm. And as you know from going on launches, you start relatively early in the morning. Yeah. And of course, you the, the team will typically warm the cars up before you get in them, yes? Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the noise yeah. of 12 McLaren 570Ss being turned on <laughs> yeah. at 7 o'clock in the morning. The other residents of the hotel weren't so pleased. Yeah. So, but, but the advantage of it is that other residents, other people using the hotel can see your cars. Absolutely. For and, the first time, it's an exclusive look, isn't it? And Casino Square, obviously a great of place course. to put flying spurs. Um, and we launched with the W12 um, with four-wheel steering. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't four-wheel steering an amazing it's invention? Mind-bogglingly brilliant, yes. Which makes a five-point, whatever it is, three-metre-long car very easy to manoeuvre mm-hmm. and easy to park. Yeah. Um, and when you're driving like a flying spur, you're not aware of all the car behind you. Mm. Um, and hence, which is why people use them every day. So you must, you must try one. I'd love to. Um, yeah. And since then, we've launched the hybrid version. Ah, um, 
and we're we're the only other luxury we're only one of the luxury brands to offer a choice of a range of plug-in hybrids so the fly spur or the bentega um and these are already proving much more popular with our customers than we thought they would be yeah flying spur depending on market it's one in five one in four are ordered with the plug-in versus the the v8 or the w12 that you can still get for now Mm, of course yeah although if you want one hurry because they've almost all gone um and, and for our customers, it really suits them because you get, what, 35 miles of electric range. Great. Um, that, then you've got, the, obviously, the petrol engine and, and, the, and the fuel tank, so a total 500-mile range. And Bentley customers will have at least one driveway yep. Yep. to put a charge point on. Yep. Majority of journeys very short. So you're doing Monday to Friday, you're on zero emissions. But if you want to drive to your second home in the Cotswolds or Cornwall at the weekend, you don't have to worry about public charging because you've got the fuel tank to get you there and back quite happily. Yeah. My commute's 20 miles, so I could easily do that. There you go. Okay. Commute back and forth, as you say, zero you've got, emissions. We've got charge points here at work. We've got some charge points over in the uh, in the car park there. I'm stopping you. And we've also got uh, the end of our road. There's the BP garage with one of these new um, plug-in centres. Oh, yes. With okay. a 300 kilowatt charger. Goodness. Could okay. you believe it? Um, so, yeah, tick, tick, tick. I'll take one. Um, well, we can fix that. <laughs> um, and, and we're very lucky at, at work in that we have... Oh, gosh, it's over 100 charge points now across site. That's great. Um, and they're fed directly from our solar panels. Oh, amazing. Right. Um, Brilliant. Because we've just celebrated the 10th, yeah, getting my years right, 10th anniversary of having solar panels. Um, we're about to switch on the third tranche of solar panels, um, basically covering the remaining roofs um, with solar panels and also the new ones we just put up recently. Right. Um, and solar panels have got smaller. Yes, absolutely. Smaller in size um, and far more efficient in that yeah. size, aren't they? Yeah. Because, um, of course, we're, we're also carbon neutral. We've been carbon neutral for production now for five years. Wow. Um, and the ambition is to be um, fully carbon neutral in 2030. And we're on our way to get there. Great. And let's not forget the sustainable fuels. Yes, Yes. So, um, so t- talk to me a bit, a bit about that because again, this is a this is a world which is quite new and exciting, and it's getting some great publicity. It's creating a bit of confusing publicity for people because I think in the launch, in the time that we've seen some of the big brands like Porsche and Siemens talking about it, suddenly there's been this big surge of people going, "Ah, oh, great! No need for EVs anymore. We can we can continue with internal combustion cars because of sustainable fuels." That's not quite how I think it's going to work long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, of course, the sustainable fuels, they're not going to reverse electrification. I think that is a, that's a course that's set. It's happening, whether you like it or not. However, the sustainable fuels is giving a bit more peace of mind to those of us that do have a bit of a complex with regards to burning these huge engines and using crude oil to do so. So what is the, what is the Bentley take on this? And could we, we reference the hay bales going up the hill at Goodwood, which is, a, which is part of it, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Now, I mean, I guess the first thing to say is that plug-in hybrids do reduce emissions. Yeah. So um, by 10 times. Wow. With one of our cars anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, renewable fuels are something that we are looking into. We now have a Bowser on site. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran all the fleet at Goodwood on the fuel. Right. The Bator, um, I think, was, it, was one of the 10 fastest cars 
up the hill using that fuel. So no loss of performance. Mm -hmm. Um, We've tried it on our heritage cars. Again, fine. You just use it as you would any other fuel. You can even mix the fuels. Mm -hmm. Um, All works fine. But there are three problems. Um, Now, I, I... I'm not an expert on many things, and I'm not an expert on how this fuel is made. So, sure. But what, what I do understand is that there is simply not enough land mm. on the planet yeah. to, to produce enough fuel for all the internal combustion engine cars that are running around and will continue to do so. Yes. Um, and therefore, the price of a litre of fuel is, what, £10-ish? It's mm. a lot of money, isn't it? And you can't pop down the road to that BP you just mentioned. Yes, correct. To fill up your Land Rover mm. on the fuel. No. It's not available. But if you can get it, and we've recently installed um, a barrel of one of our customers who wants to run their cars with it, you can do it. Mm. Um, and and we're, we're doing it now. But um, um, it's at least not not right now. It's not a long-term solution. No. no. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is a... A debate and perhaps a, a podcast episode in itself, the whole myth busting, I guess, of, of the future of fuels and, and how it all works. I think it is exciting that it exists. It's exciting. It's important that it exists. And if you have, as you say, if you've got customers with a, a small fleet of cars that they own and they want to kind of tick off that moral requirement in their own mind just to say, well, I know that I'm driving sustainable fuels, even if it is costing me £10 a litre. This is where our customers are embracing plug-in hybrids. Yes. It's, it's, right, it's not yeah. for financial benefit no although i always say you haven't gotten into the position of being able to afford a bentley by being careless with your money mm. and however rich you are it's still, still great to save some money and, and using a, a using plugging the car yeah. is obviously cheaper than filling it with petrol yes um but it's about helping the environment they they get a kick out of us we all do running the car on zero emissions mm. and actually when you driving a bentley in electric mode is wonderful yeah yeah, this cocoon of silence. Yeah, I can it's imagine. beautiful. I can imagine. Can't wait to try it. We'll sort it out. Are you listening, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> he will be. <laughs> um, now we we skirted through our little topics there of of the cars about launches, and this is something I have to ask about because, and again, this is great because you've been on both sides of the coin. You've been on the launches as a writer and as a journalist, and then of course you are in charge of them so talk to me about the um the art of pr and the art of car launches and what is easy and what is a bit more challenging um well that's a very broad question i isn't it just gosh um well one of the challenges is getting people to go really yes oh um and getting the people you want to go Right. To go. Yeah. Um, because I, mean, I don't know how many invitations you get a day, but I'm sure you get... Not many, I'll be honest. But you get enough in a week, yes? Some, okay. in, in, a, in a month or two, yeah. But there, there, there'll be... Somewhere in the world, there'll be a car launch going on. Correct. Yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and, okay, it's a Bentley or it was a McLaren. Mm. So you might think that it could be more attractive. But had, I don't know... Brand X send their invitation out first, and you'd accepted it. Oh yeah, yeah? yeah, yeah. Your your dar is full. Yeah, and um, people we work with, you know, our colleagues, your colleagues, my colleagues, they're honourable. They won't 
okay, I've accepted Brandex. Oh, now here's an invitation from Bentley to go mm. to Monaco. They're not going to say, sorry, I can't go. I'm going to go to Bentley instead. So that's the first challenge and being organised, get, getting invitations out soon enough. Yeah. And because of the busyness of everyone's calendar, um, you want to launch that is as easy to get to, you not too much time travelling <clears throat> and not too much time away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to be sitting on a coach. You don't want to be gone changing planes three times. Yeah, true. Um, so you, the second challenge is finding the right venue and the right place to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the UK isn't great for global launches okay. because we drive on the... That's very true. Yes. yes. And you hear all sorts of stories of, of brands who tried to do car launches mm-hmm. in the UK. I remember... And I won't say who it was, but they, they did the launch of an SUV in Cornwall. Okay. Gosh. A global launch. Oh, wow. Guess how many wing mirrors and wheels yeah, they went through. Yes? Imagine, yeah. Anyone that's not driven in Cornwall, imagine the narrowest driveway you've ever driven down. And that's the majority of the beat roads. <laughs> and if you're not used to driving on this side of the road on, on top of it, yes? Exactly. That. Okay. Yeah. So UK doesn't work. Hmm. Uh, plus, our weather isn't always the most reliable. Um, so... And you also want to, you want to find someone that's easy to get to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we invite journalists from across all up the, well, the majority of our markets to come to them. So not too many flight changes. You then want a short transfer from the airport mm. to the hotel. Because um, I, I don't like putting journalists in cars from the airport. No. On a Well, unless it's like a sort of UK or European launch. Because you get off a long flight might be different time zone it's not mm. you're in a car you don't know yep it's, and also getting out of airports is never the easiest anyway no so we prefer to chauffeur you to the airport but you don't want to be in the car for too long more than an hour is, is the most um then you had to find the, the hotel as i said could be a you take it exclusively or you or you're part of a bigger venue and then for a car launch you need roads yeah <laughs> yeah um and you want roads that suit the product um and complement the product as well, I guess. And and suit whatever you're trying to say about that car. Um, surfaces is always interesting. Yeah. So th- there's no point. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you've read about launches in Germany or somewhere with super smooth roads where the cabot is always, yes, but we need to try it on UK roads. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just, let's, the point is having smooth surfaces, a bit of a bit of broken road. And then sometimes you need a track as well. Yes. Depending course. on the car. Um, and yes, and we've done... Um, track events at Bentley, of course, at McLaren, it was mandatory. Mm-hmm. And try booking a track even a year ahead. Absolutely. For so, about a week at a time, isn't it? Yeah, for, yeah. for up to three weeks at a time. Yeah, wow. Um, so, yeah, but those are the main challenges. Yeah. Um, we obviously work with our engineering teams to make sure they're happy with the with the routes. Um, there's also there's a balance of routes as well because you you don't want it too short, you don't want it too long. Course, yeah. You don't want to get stuck in traffic. You don't you want to try and minimise too much overtaking because that adds danger. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. That. I, I often think back when hearing these sort of conversations back to my time in my little events chapter and I was looking after all the production and logistics for the Gumball Rally and trying to accommodate... Mm that mass of people in different cities as part of a road trip was was certainly a challenge. But then thinking about the, the added challenge of that number of people from a car launch point of view and getting those roads right and seeing what the perceptions are, I th- often think back to one of the my first big, exciting international launches was for the F-Pace 
And mm. I was right at the end. I was on. I was actually part of the lifestyle launch, uh, the lifestyle group. So I went out uh, at the time that I was doing some stuff with talk radio and talk sport. And um, so we, I think we were even the, I think we were the very last rotation of people out and we had a chartered flight from Farnborough and it was all very glamorous. And I remember getting there and the launch was in Montenegro. I, yes. Which famously yes. doesn't have dual carriageways and doesn't have motorways. Everything is two lane traffic in the whole mm. country. And I had, by chance, driven in Montenegro only about three or four weeks before this launch. I was on a road trip with a few friends. We ended up there. Complete random novelty. There we are. Um, we wanted to drive from the UK to Bosnia and Herzegovina. We did that and then decided, oh, as we're here, we're going to Montenegro. Anyway, another story for another time. Um, but the fact was we were back. And I remember having driven there already, talking to, as I often do, the engineer team and the team who are kind of responsible for the fleet management of the cars there. And I said, interesting choice for a location. And they sort of went, yeah. I said, um, out of interest, like, have you had any altercations knowing how boldly the locals like to overtake? Most frequently in a Mark II Golf, which I thought was interesting. Every Mark II Golf in the world, I think, is now in Montenegro for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going into a blind corner behind two lorries, you can guarantee there's a Mark II Golf that's going to come out on the outside, overtake you and go around that corner before you and the two lorries, regardless of what's coming the other way. And uh, so I put that question to them and the guy said, yeah, we, we, they, I think they totaled up 63 wheels, way more tyres. So tyres had been popped, wheels had been destroyed, people driving off the edge of the road because of these overtakes. I think they'd lost four or five cars as a result Goodness. of nothing serious, but little mm. prangs. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I used to think my job was hard, but this must be hell. Um, and that's why the location is so important. Mm. Now, um, we try to avoid charter flights uh -huh. because that adds structure mm. that the journalist doesn't always appreciate. Okay. Yeah. And this comes back to... Um, there's no guarantee that someone's going to come to your event because mm. they've got other things to do. So yeah. you need to make it as easy as possible for them. Um, and we we will be at a location for whatever number of days. And um, I mean, when, when we invite you to crew, mm. if you couldn't have come on that day, it didn't matter because you could have come on another day. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. And when, when we're flying people to places, a charter flight means you have to get to that airport, yeah. wherever the hub is, to then, yeah, and and you've got no choice. Mm. Um, so we, we we try to do schedule flights. Um, and yes, I, I remember I remember hearing about that Jaguar launch, and they had lots of problems with rocks and things as well. Yeah, I believe that's right. And control as much as you can. Mm. Yeah. Um, having said that, we've had um, problems of late with weather. Okay. That we never anticipated. Um, I mean, I know you, you talked about good festival speed. Mm, of course, yeah. Who would imagine that? Cancelled Saturday, yeah. Um, we did a very small event for just a handful of journalists and, and some customers for the Bator, which is the current Mulliner Coachbook project. 18 cars. Again, sorry, John, you're too late. They've all gone. <laughs> um, and we thought, let's go to Tenerife. Yes. Amazing, amazing landscape. Because you go up through the clouds and it is literally like you're on the moon. I know. Yeah. Breathtaking Gorgeous. scenery, breathtaking photographs. It's another, another, um, another factor when you're choosing a location, mm -hmm. you know, the quality of the photography. We arrived, 
beautiful day, heard the news, and there was a storm coming. And we had to basically change the routes, get people down from the volcano, because we're up there with the two two million pound cars, the team, rocks on the roads. Mm. So always safety first and forget it. We were in Sicily with GT Speed. Again, torrential rain, flooded out half the hotel. Um, Debris on the road led to an accident. Fortunately, driver fine, car not so fine. Um, So if you can... (laughs) We should just say in crew, really, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> where the sun always shines in crew. Although we did have the the celebration of twenty years of Continental, and I think by the time we, by the time my group had come in, um, the, the part of the road route that you've been using had been closed. <laughs> For, oh no, that was it. There was a big country show. That was it. There was a yes, country show yes. down the road, which completely meant the roads were full of tractors and things. So we went oh, in the other direction. Dear. But hey, it was fine. It worked okay. out beautifully. Uh, <laughs> so there's the challenges of it. Um, I want to explore. The um, the beautifully coined phrase by fellow podcaster Richard Porter, which he likes to call the shit list. The shit list being the list you get put onto as a writer or a journalist when you say something that upsets a PR or a press office. Now, I like that you've, you're giving me a confused face as if to say, oh, I've never heard of this and I'm never... I haven't. I, no, I haven't. that's good. I, I believe you. I, <laughs> do, I believe you. <laughs> But the idea that, and maybe it's maybe it's a maybe it's just a common myth that a lot of journalists think a bit like when everyone was coining the phrase "I've been shadow banned" on Instagram. Then it's what shadow banned. Did you ever hear about this? So people would be convinced that for whatever reason they've done something to upset Instagram, which meant that less people were seeing their profile, oh. and they started saying, "Oh, I've been shadow banned." It oh. means that I've been kind of restricted from Instagram. And then somebody from Instagram came out and said, "This is not a thing. We've never, we've never ever." shadow banned anyone this is this is not something we, that exists it's not something we do but a, an entire population of people around the world were convinced that they were part of this regime that, that they'd been they were being hushed which it didn't <laughs> exist now i have a similar thought about the shit list of uh, of of motoring press where perhaps they've given a bad review they were particularly badly behaved on a launch or something like that which then Results in them not getting invited to future launches or invited to drive particular press cars. So, um, well, I I can only speak for my current team and previous companies I've worked at. And as we bored everyone with the last hour, I've been around a bit, professionally speaking. Yeah. Um, Never heard of it. Good. Um, You said two interesting things just then mm. about writing a bad review or behaving badly. Yes. Yeah. Let's go. So um, I've never gone back to a journalist to question a bad review. Okay. Although fortunately I've never been anywhere where we've had a particularly bad review. Mm. Um, as I said, beginning, our, our job is to earn media. Yeah. Yeah. And, we give, our, we we lend our cars to you, the experts, to give your reviews, and it's your opinion. And who am I to question your opinion? Yeah. Yes. It's like who am I to question what clothes you're wearing, what colour car you want to drive? That's that's your choice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and if you make a, have a subjective impression about a car, whether you don't think it looks nice or you don't think it handles very well, you don't think it rides very well, okay. Yeah. Um, and 
you have to go with that. Um, I have had conversations with journalists where they perceive a car differently to how it's intended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's the job of the the PR to make sure the car is understood yeah. and what it's trying to do, or at least what we as a manufacturer think it should be doing before you drive it, yeah. to put you kind of vicariously into the mind of the potential buyer. Um, but no, never gone back to a journalist who's written a, quotes, bad review, although fortunately we haven't had many of them. Yeah. Now, behaving badly... <laughs> yes, so this must be, there must be a list of instances where things have... Things have happened either on the drives, because I, I guess you know speeding and things is always going to be a challenge, but also there's the frequent, come and join us for a drink at the bar on the first evening. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen people have perhaps a few too many of the free cocktails. And Well, that hopefully doesn't happen anymore. Mm. It certainly did happen. Gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, when I was on the other side. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> particularly, no, I won't say the brand. Um, <laughs> Were you going to say Peugeot by any chance? No. Anyway, um, why? <laughs> because well, my, yeah, I, I've told, I have mentioned this story a few times, so I won't go into it in great detail because people have already heard it. But the very, very, very first launch I ever went on was for the Peugeot 308, uh, the convertible one. It had oh, another, CC. Yes. Yes. And uh, it was in Cardiff, St. David's Hotel in Cardiff. Oh, yes. So I was nervous as hell because I was what our early 20s this was an exciting thing and I got to the hotel and I remember you know well, we've got dinner at seven meet at the bar for six and this that and the other and I remember thinking I'll have one alcoholic drink and I'll have my dinner and I'll talk politely to everyone and then maybe I'll have one alcoholic dinner afterwards and then I'll go to go to bed and wake up in the morning and be fresh as a daisy and, and that's exactly what I did I was the most boring person there but I remember looking around the room and seeing the old school journos and especially the newspaper writers and my God, they were they were drinking. They were drinking and drinking and drinking to the point where in the morning, I remember one of the press team from Peugeot gently nudging this gentleman on the side saying, are you aware that you won't be able to drive today? And he went, yeah, you know, he was aware of it. Uh, and then on that same launch, the chap that I was sharing my drive with, and I wish I was making this up, fell asleep at the wheel whilst driving. <laughs> No. Yes. So that's dreadful. The car swerving around because oh, he'd had such a long night the night before. But but why sh- why why? I mean, I, I, certainly that doesn't happen on my watch now. Good. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it in in the years forward. I haven't seen anything remotely similar. But I think there was a time where that was quite common practice. You you wouldn't do that in your private life, would you? No, absolutely. Drink too much and then drive in the morning. Correct. And so why would you do it? In your professional life, yeah, yeah. Not, not saying you, John, just you know, no, I don't. Yeah. One, <laughs> yeah. not you. Yeah. Um, and for the benefit of the listeners, it wasn't like one of those. My friend has got this rash. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I promise, it wasn't me that fell asleep at the wheel, or the one that had too much to drink. But but certainly on the on the eve of drive day, yeah. Um, I I will go to bed early. Mm. When I say early, you know, sort of I don't know, ten eleven ish or something. Yeah. Part, partly to send a message. Partly, also, I want to get some sleep. Yeah, yeah. And you always have some more work to do at the end of the day before you, before you wake up in the morning, yes? Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we have a moral and a corporate responsibility to make sure that you don't get oh, slashed the night before. Yeah, yeah. Because you're course. driving the next day. Now, um, some of our events will be two nights, mm-hmm. just, again, because of logistics, because, it, because of the flights and when you've got people coming from long distances in different countries. So if, if they want to have a more... The second night, that's up to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're all grown-ups. Um, so that doesn't happen. Um, 
behaving badly. Um, I, remember, I remember one launch, um, a poor journalist wet himself on a cushion. Oh. Um, and it was quite an elderly journalist, quite an old cushion. Um, <laughs> thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> um, but I think people, people do behave generally well. Mm. Um, and the other, I guess, upside of working for brands like McLaren or, or Bentley is that who wants to crash a McLaren on a car launch? Because mm. you all know about it. Absolutely. And you'll be talking about it, yeah. won't you? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and people are respectful. Yeah. So, no, nothing about a shit list. No. Okay, brilliant. Good to know. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Richard, and you can cross that off your <laughs> your your potential <laughs> list of concerns. Um, journalists, we've, we've spoken a lot about attending the launches. Talk to me a little bit about this new age. I say new age. It's not new age at all, really. It's been going on for about 15 years. But the the I word, the influencers, the, mm. the, um, the, the new angle to spreading the word of cars. Now, I've been on, again, been on both sides of this. I've done work, very close work, with some of the biggest and best car influencers in the world. That road trip that I mentioned where we drove to Montenegro, that involved... Uh, Tim Burton, Shmi, oh yes, Shmi yes, yes, 150. Tim. Yeah. Um, Tim and I have been friends since my Gumball days, and he very kindly phoned me up one day and said, "Right, I'm doing this road trip. I want people I can trust to drive my cars. Do you want to be part of it?" And that was brilliant. And we did these great things and great activation for the brands of the cars we were driving. Admittedly, there were cars that he bought, he purchased them, but the result of which is very valuable or was very valuable to the manufacturers because these were all new cars at the time. So I've seen from both sides that the influencer role or YouTuber or content creator, whatever we want to call them, comes with a great degree of importance for a car manufacturer because they can spread your word to an audience that perhaps wouldn't otherwise be reading the motoring column of the Times or uh, you know the, the good old-fashioned magazines. But equally, I've also seen the friction from the journalism side and the old-school journalists going, well, you know, why should these kids, whatever they're going to be coined, be invited on these launches when they're just filming themselves with cameras. From your point of view, and I guess with the variance of brands that you've been responsible for in that PR role, how have you seen that develop and what's your take on it all? Um, I remember meeting Tim at um, 570S launch and then um, Mr. JWWWW. Um, yeah, yeah, another friend. Char- charming, charming man, <laughs> yeah, charming yeah. man. Um, inviting him to it was 570 GT. I think he was just starting out then. Yes. Um, right. And I remember inviting him and um, a few of his colleagues along. It was the first time I'd, I'd worked with the I word. Mm-hmm. And yes, just goodness. They're filming themselves. They're filming breakfast and just yeah, somewhat bewildered, but watching it and then seeing the results, which is amazing. Yeah. And, um, and, and we've seen what, what it's going into today. Yeah. But... I don't. I don't understand the, the sort of friction you've you've alluded to mm. between, let's say, the traditional journalist and the new age influencer, because there's space for everyone. Absolutely, yeah. Completely yes. different fields. That's how I've always looked at it. It's it's a completely different field. Whilst you're promoting the same product, you know, they're celebrating the same product. It, it's it's like Morrison's complaining about W H Smith. It's it's yes, you're both shops, but you sell completely different things. It doesn't make any sense. And. Um, Particularly a, a, a brand like Bentley, which has a, a broad customer base, mm-hmm. you want to reach as many of your existing customers as you can, but also find new ones, yeah. new friends. I always say I would like to make new friends. Um, 
you need this variety of audiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the challenge, I guess, for the manufacturer is creating an event that is as flexible as possible to suit all these different needs, yes? Mm. So when you came to that event in crew, you wanted to get a lot of content, you wanted to do some filming, as well yeah, as you wanted yeah. time to drive the car, yes? Yes, of course, yeah. Um, and we have to create a platform that allows you to get what you want. Yeah. Whereas, let's say... Um, a magazine journalist who's writing a first drive won't come with a photographer, mm. just wants to drive the car on the best roads, get to know spend enough time in the car, um, understand as best he or she can, but then needs you to give him the, or her the pictures. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the lifestyle journalists, um, their 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 readers perhaps aren't don't want all the technical stuff so much. Mm-hmm. Um, they might want to know more about the craftsmanship in the car, so you kind of dial up and dial down your messages accordingly. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, but I, I think we do it reasonably well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. You do. Okay. Yeah. Genuinely. Um, yeah. And and it's not that. I mean, we're about to come on to this, but um, you you can tailor a Bentley to your taste. Of course. Same way we have to tailor what we do to what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it means just maybe bespoke trips to crew. That's great. Um, yeah. we, we, we have people coming to see us almost every single day. Um, or um, when you're on a long event, just kind of having one day for content creators because you need a car to yourself. You need to be left alone for a long time to do mm-hmm. your filming. I know how long it takes. Yeah. Um, and, and we try to facilitate that. Brilliant. That's great. I guess before we start to wrap things up, there's, there is one question that I usually ask towards the beginning of the episode, which I completely forgot to ask. Oh. I know the answer to it, so it doesn't matter because it's, it's all going to fall into place. Um, and the question is, what vehicle did you drive here in today? Oh, good one. Mm. Um, well, I was going to bring one of my own. Because you have a particular passion for Audi, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. Um um, I guess it goes, goes back to when, when I was perhaps when I said yeah, but my, my father had Audis uh-huh. when I was growing up, and it, 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 one, one remembers the cars of your childhood, don't oh, you? Completely. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's when Audis weren't so well known. So I've always just had an affinity with the brand. And then there was the A8 mm-hmm. I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then when I was at McLaren, we well, I've been very fortunate when I worked with different jobs I've had. You, you get you know cars through the lease cars through the, for your job and um, plethora of Nissans at Nissan. Um, and then when I went to McLaren, at the time they had the relationship with Mercedes-Benz. Okay. Yes, of course. So had great lease deals on Mercedes. I remember I had an E220 CDI estate, fantastic car, <laughs> such a good car. Um, but then um, the, the, that arrangement stopped and swapped to a lease thing uh, with a, another brand, mm. let's say. And the prices were just went up and you had to insure it yourself and I wasn't that keen on that brand right. so I thought oh I get my own um, and I, I just was I mean coming out to the challenges about what car shall I buy yeah. so just going through lots of different things and I remember um, it was Richard Meaden uh-huh. another lovely man yeah. um, writing for Evo did this test of a of the then new RSQ3 okay yeah it's a 2014 yeah 306 300, well 340 no, what was it? Yeah, 340 PS then. Mm. Um, and I thought, perfect car. So anyway, so I bought this RSQ3, and that was the start of the of the Audi thing. Okay. And I, I've been getting one. I get bored quickly. Um, so I've 
chopping. I've lost so much money, silly, but almost a new Audi almost every year. Mm. Uh, apart from um, this C7. Do you, do you know your... Do you know your... I do. Yep. So the last generation RS6. Yeah. Which I... Longest, longest I've ever had a car. I had it just over three years, 50,000 miles. Um, it was a reward to myself for giving up smoking. Oh, well done. Did the, did the kind of way maths and yeah. thought money I save. Although I did say vaping, but anyway. Um, just fantastic <laughs> car. So, yeah, always had Audis. And then um, um, recently um, I bought another RSQ3 um, 2016 car just mm-hmm. a few months ago, which I thought I just wanted something smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, that's been great. And then again, sort of rediscovered older cars. And I'd had, a, I just bought recently another new Audi. And then uh, it was just too much in every respect. And I was just scrolling through, you know, as you do on that certain app, um, and saw an eight, a 2018 C7 RS6. Wonderful. With eight, eight and a half thousand miles. Wow. Um, so, yeah. But you've not driven that here today. No. So, um, our dear colleague, um, Mr. Smedley. <laughs> Um, hello, John. Hello, John. Love John. Um, said, oh, Wayne, we've got this um, GTC Mulliner that needs some miles on. Um, and we've got some um, media coming a couple of weeks, Jeff from Japan, who, and we need to, anyway, so, so I, I've been putting some miles on this car. And it's, um, when I'm allowed by Mike, um, Mike, um, most fun is configuring a, a Bentley. Yes. Now. Um, you know about our configurator. I know about you know about absolutely. Yeah, and some of our listeners may be familiar with this, but Paramex, the company that we often the, the name that we often mention but don't really talk about very much, Paramex is the the people. They're the people that fund Driven, uh, but their main business is the Bentley configurator, which I didn't know actually. There we go. Um, so, if you go onto our configurator, BentleyMotors.com, there are forty six billion. Yeah, with a B. Diff- different yeah with a b different configurations of bentley there which are all made in our one factory mm-hmm. and what visitors see well certainly uh, industry visitors find so remarkable about crew is that we can do that many configurations of car out of one line well t- two lines one for bentega one for gt and flying spur um with predictable deliveries of say roughly six months once you place the order yeah. anyway so most fun is when i'm allowed to configure a new car and um, this particular GTC Mulliner. So Mulliner is is the pinnacle of everything. Mm-hmm. You get the 659 PSW12. Yep. With the with the chassis of the of the GT Speed, including the amazing four wheel steering. Yes. But with the best best that we can offer in terms of um, craftsmanship. So the the Mulliner has seven, I think it is, pre configured interiors. Wow. Uh, which includes three leather colours, mm-hmm. and I think what I'm saying, five hundred thousand individual stitches, Gosh. all done by hand. Um, and this particular car is typical of what many of our customers are doing. So we've introduced, we recently introduced these derivatives: in, uh, the Azure, which is if you want more about a comfortable car, mm-hmm. the S and the Speed for a more sort of performance oriented. At the top, you have Mulliner, um, which obviously include some pre-configured what were previously options. Yeah. But our customers are still wanting to go above that in terms of personalizing the car even further. Um, and this particular car I'm driving um, has, uh, we have 64 standard colors mm-hmm. and a range of heritage colors on top. Lovely. Um, and this car is painted in sage green. Oh, gorgeous. Which is a beautiful, solid, grayish green. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the the 22 inch Mulliner Mulliner um, design wheels have got sage green inners. Lovely, right? Lovely. Yeah. Feel with me so far? Yeah, yeah. Um, black line. So the bright wear has changed yeah. to black, which right. is an increasingly popular option amongst our customers. Yeah. Um, polished wheels. Okay. Where, where, where are you on black wheels? I'm. I, um, hmm. There was a time where I thought they looked fantastic. Hmm. I feel. I feel now going back to silver. Hmm. Silver on most colours works. Doesn't yes, it? I'm with you. Yeah. And and you want to see the wheel. Yes. Yes, you paint you're right. it black. And you, it, disappears. it disappears. All the design is gone. Yeah. So yeah, silver, silver um, wheels. Good. Although I, I am slightly obsessed with uh, BMW's that sort of bronzy gold. Oh, I finish know. they do. Yes, as well, that um, yes. We we have this. And, um, of course, we have this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you can have your wheels painted whatever color you like. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, we, we call it. We have a Brodka option on our S derivative wheel. Anyway, um, and then on the interior, it has the. Flare interior con- configuration with hot spur red. Oh wow! With, with silver accents, silver leather accents, but the piano veneer, yeah, um, is painted sage green to match the exterior. Love this. So Obviously, you, I need to come out into yeah, the car park once we finish to yes. take photos of this, and, yes. and we'll we'll include those photos with this so, week's podcast. So I had a very pleasant journey up here. Thank and you. did you configure that car? I did actually. Fantastic. Um, which is always a worry. Because <laughs> <laughs> then, I, with these press cars, where do they typically end up? Do they go off to a dealer or do they go off to an auction? Or I guess they get, must get to a certain mileage and then they then go off somewhere. Who gets to pick and choose? Is there a bit of a fight at, at the um, office? Or? So, yeah, they, they, they will all end up um, um, in one of, well, our, our fleet will end up uh, for resale at one of our UK retailers. Mm. Um, and. <laughs> We, uh, um, Mike and I um, try to keep on the wrong side of who, who um, I, I term Mr. Previously Enjoyed. <laughs> um, so so he, he, looks, he looks after the, the resale of, 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 the, of the fleet cars that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have 46 billion different configurations of car, it's important that we show as many of them Absolutely. as we can. Absolutely. Um, and it, I think it's... I'm told since we started being bolder, not bolder, bolder with our specs, mm. um, it sort of opens up people's imagination of what completely. Because how do you know you want something if you if you don't know about it, or even better, haven't seen it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and indeed, now when um, when, when you come when you come and visit us, John, mm-hmm. um, and we walk you around the factory, you'll see that all the cars on the line have a tiny QR code on them. Okay. This is because I mean, where is we've got ten shades of green ish, yeah. um, and you've ordered your one, your car in Viridian, mm-hmm. and you're Each with the color. you're with the tour guide, and you say, "Is that Viridian?" Not quite possible to tell. We can then scan the QR code and say, "No, um, that's Alpine green." Right, and you can maybe still have time to change your order. Brilliant. Um, but of course, you know that I mean, brighter colours will photograph better, they'll video better, yeah. particularly here. Um, but when we're doing, when we're ordering the, the cars for launches, we think of where we're going in terms of what, what might look great in Beverly Hills, won't look so great in crew, sure. um, all these things to think about. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I, the configurator system, is, it's a funny one because here in the office space, which we share with the Paramex team, I often see the configurator being tweaked and played with. And I know that 
Paramex have got a huge team up in crew as well where the majority of the work happens. But it is amazing and it's one that I can't help but as I'm sure every single person listening to this podcast has done at least once, gone, oh, I've got a bit of time to kill. Let's go on the Bentley configurator or the Porsche configurator or it's insert car manufacturer configurator here and picked out disgraceful colour combinations and gone, God, wouldn't that be bold? Um, but for me, for me, it always ends up a fairly dark green with bronze or tan accents somewhere. Um, yeah, it's and inside? just great. Uh, see, I am a big fan of... So Ferrari have launched this beautiful, uh, I think they call it saddle hide. Okay, It's a yeah. disgracefully expensive option it, because it is, well, so they say, it is, um, it, it's a it's a type of le- leather that would be used for saddles, uh, which of course is very fitting with the Cavalino and everything else. Um, but it's been distressed in a way that looks like it's lived a life as a saddle previously before it then goes into oh, okay. the car. Mm-hmm. And I just think that looks fantastic. Um, typically, I tend to try and avoid leather for the simple reason I, I personally don't find it very comfortable. So I quite like the, in one of the Continentals I drove at the 20-year uh, celebration, had that gorgeous Alcantara suede. Dynamica. Dynamica. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's the dream. Absolutely love that stuff. Um, but if it is going to be leather, then it needs to be a, a, a tan leather. The darker, the better. So we, we do th- three different tan-ish colours. Mm-hmm. Um, and interesting you mentioned that Ferrari example. Yeah. I, I was um, with, with one of our Mulliner designers the other day um, and he was telling me about, um, so, you know, we've done these continuations of um, some uh, two of our classic cars. So the Blower uh-huh. yes, of was course. the first yeah, and yeah. now Speed 6, 12, edi- 12, version, 12 pieces of each. Mm-hmm. Again, sorry, John, you're too late. They've all sold. Um, and they and and they you have a you have a, a warped perception of my earnings <laughs> as, a, as a podcast person. Um, but they uh, so, so they have a different type of leather from Bridge of Weir. Beautiful, yeah, of course, yeah. And and one of the customers wanted the same leather in his new Continental GT. So of course we've now introduced that as well. Great. So we can do that. Um, but this this particular GTC, I mean, is is Bright red with green. And I, I think red and green. Mm. Yes? Yeah, I get that. Classic works very well, as does saddle. Yeah, beautiful. Wonderful. You'll be in the configurator later, won't you? Just I will. Okay. Yes. 100% <laughs> I will, yeah. Hours of amusement. Indeed, yes. Go and check it out if you haven't already. Bentley Motors, BentleyMotors.com, I've got that right, haven't I? You have done, yeah. yes. Go and click on configurator and just fill your boots with the billions with a B. That's a PR campaign in itself, isn't it? <laughs> billions with a B. You can have that one for free. Thank you. Um, last question before we wrap things up, uh, which I appreciate may, or it's actually two in one question, uh, which may be a quick answer, maybe a slightly longer answer. The best and the worst parts of your job. Start with the worst. Worst, goodness. Um, well, I guess, I guess every job has some admin-y dull bits. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's some dull admin-y bits, um, (laughs) That I don't enjoy so much, but I don't enjoy so much. I can't, I can't think of anything that's worse, that's fine. really. That's good. Um, that's again, good. as as I as I think I said, how, how many hours ago it was we started talking. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm just feel so lucky to do what I do. That's great. Um, and work for a company like Bentley. Yeah. Um, which is one happy family, amazing place to work, and on top the cars are rather lovely too. Yeah. That helps. So the best bit. 
Well, that might be equally hard to answer, actually. Um, configuring <laughs> the card. Um, the best bit... Um, the best bit are the, are the discussions we have around future cars mm-hmm. um, and working with the design team um, because there's a lot of that going on right now. Of course, especially with the, the setback of dates for 2035 deadlines and things like that. Has that altered the way future conversations have happened? Or um, is, is that a path that's already been set? Um, really good question. and Thank you for asking that one. Um, and it's something that's been a discussion ever since, mm. um, ever since that U-turn. Um, but no, our, our path is not changing. Cool, right. Um, we've still got five electric cars planned. First one is still due 2026-ish, um, still uh, carbon neutral 2030. Um, the only thing we might do is extend the life of one of our current uh, plug-in hybrids beyond 2030. But Got it. that's not decided. So basically, no, the trajectory hasn't changed. So it is a really exciting time. So we've got the designs for the first car, well, first first of the few cars already. Um, and the design reviews, I guess, are the most exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to... But I'm not going to... I know. No. Because it's very tempting for me to go, and tell me more about that bit. But we can't. obviously I won't. No, no. Um, amazing. Well, Wayne, thank you. This has been this has been great. This has been fun. I, I really hope that uh, people listening have, have have enjoyed this as much as I have because I think I love it when we talk to people that shed a a particular light on a part of the industry that perhaps we don't often get to hear about. We've spoken in in the hundred and seventy nine episodes or whatever we've recorded so far. We've spoken. We speak a lot to racing drivers. We've done a few car designers. We've done a lot of photographers and content creators. But the PR side, it's just such a vital part of it all. Is something we rarely get to explore and hearing it from the PR's side as opposed to people experiencing what the PR departments have told us to experience or influenced us to experience. So I, f- I found this really interesting. Thank you so much for, for coming in and giving us so much of your time. No, thank you, John. And if, if your listeners are still with us, <laughs> thank, thank you for staying. No, indeed. Indeed. Um, yes. That leaves me to say thank you, dear listener. Thank you for making it this far, because if you are this far, you've made it to the end and you are our favourite people. Perhaps you have enjoyed this episode and you can think of two or three other people that may also enjoy this episode. Why don't you send them a link? That will do wonderful things for us. And if you're feeling especially generous, don't forget, you can also do that wonderful thing, which is leaving us a positive review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do that there. Alternatively, if you're listening on Google Podcasts, there's a few other platforms as well where you can engage and comment and things like Spotify, you can do that. And then just let us know you've enjoyed it. Let us know what you've enjoyed. And we love reading those comments. A huge thank you. Don't forget, you can see everything that we do, including plenty of Bentley content on our website, driven.site. There you will see written articles, a couple of video reviews and some other features uh, involving the Bentley brand and many of the other brands that Wayne has been so crucially part of over the years, which is all really exciting. Um, And that's it. So I'll say thank you ever so much for listening, Wayne. Thank you again. And I hope to see you soon. I'll see you at Crew. Yes, I see. Yes, we must talk, we must talk about that. Yes, I'll please. come up to Crew for the factory tour and I'll drive home in a hybrid uh, flying spur. There you go. And then I'll drop it back again a week later. That's kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hold up. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.